There's a fly ball, and this is going to do it. Marte in deep left center, and that'll be it. Vladdy Guerrero comes in, and what a dramatic comeback for the Blue Jays. They win it 6-5 in the ninth. Heels away in the forehand, near side. Miko Rantanen, SCORE! The moon is loose! And you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because this party is over! He's behind the net, comes out, rubs it in, and scores. He gets ran into and hammered by Shifley, and Evans is in trouble. Evans is face down on the ice, and Shifley knew exactly what he was doing right there. So we had it all set up. We were just going to go Leafs wall to wall. Ziggy right yeah. out of the gate. And then Mark Shifley ran Jake Evans late in the game last night. I, don't, I, I got a sense. I got a sense. I could be wrong, but I got a sense. You and I aren't going to agree on this one. Morning, by the I, way. You, well, you, <laughs> I was like, good morning to you, too. I was like, hitting me, hitting me with Just that hard right away. I was like, I was like where does he want to go first? I'm like, is it going to be, are we going to go press conference? Because there's a lot to... Unpack there. What am uh, I? Well, the by hit, the way, quickly, the hit, what am I looking yeah. at in the bottom left corner of FaceTime there? That looks like a half-cut peach. What are you? Uh, bottom left corner. I have no idea. I, I can't really see my eye. I, well, I know how bad my eye okay, is. Okay, so the I thing that's the, oh, to the right of your right arm. What? What is? Okay, I, I, it's an apple. But like okay. my eyesight is so bad on my face. Our FaceTime, I can't see myself in the top corner. Like I, I can't. It's You're that bad. Where I need, I need. Well, I need glasses, right? So. Uh, and I do have these like low prescription glasses, but I need something, I think a little bit thicker for where are the blue uh, tinted uh, deals <laughs> that you had back when the so, TV lights were on in studio. I, do you know where those yeah. are? I, oh, I do. They're ready to go. I have my whole bag for the studio ready to go. Cause I've got the different headphones. I've got the sunglasses. They're actually blue blockers for the TV lights. I've got the snacks in a bag. Like, it's all ready to go. What are you packing. expecting? Like, some last minute call? You never know. Get in. You never know. You never know. They open things back up. It's going to be a stealth, be ready. A stealth I, mission. You got to have my granola I, bars ready just in case I get the last second call to come I in. Got my, I got my microphone cover ready to go. Like, yeah. But um, no, that the Shifley hit. I, so listening to, to, Kevin and Kelly talk about it last night on the broadcast. They didn't like it. They thought it was bad. I didn't like it either. I thought it, it was a little bit of a charge. He's skating down the ice. He falls through with his arm. Um, and it's going to get, he's going to get suspended for it. The thing, the thing about the hit though, is who's not going to finish their check in that position. Like, who's not going to finish their check? Shafley's got three options. One, do what he did. Two, try to stick check him, and I give him a 5% chance of not of making a play on that. Or three, peel off and do nothing. What of the three are you going to do when you're in a game in that well, situation? Well, okay, so you, you're you saying that the game is so I'm fast. Saying he's gonna, no, no. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying he's going to get suspended, and I'm saying I don't like the hit. No, but, but I'm, I, uh, I just don't want to, the hypocrisy of like, well, it's a suspendable hit, and how could he do it? I'm I, Kevin Bieksa played the game hard. I have a hard time believing 
Kevin wouldn't have fall, wouldn't have finished his check there. Like it's not like it was a late hit and the guy was a flying elbow. Like he finished the, the check on it. He he made contact with the head. I'm saying not all head shots. The player does the player mean to catch with his elbow or his shoulder? It's just going to happen. It's natural contact. Point of contact. You're gonna you're gonna make contact with the head. I just I I just find that play hard to avoid. If you're playing the game the way everybody plays it, like I don't know. So you're saying I, you're saying a hundred times out of a hundred, that's that's the right decision. It, t- take the names out of it, Shifley Evans. Put put any two other names into that equation. A hundred times out of a hundred, that's just, how that play is going to play out. I just don't know how many guys that play the game a physical way. Shifley plays the game a physical way. That's that, that's his style. He's not a guy to go and stick check there. Maybe I would have went to stick check him. Like I just to come on and and talk about that hit and say he didn't like it because of the result. Like I just I don't know what what his options are, and it's not it's not a it's, I'm I'm like even saying he's gonna get suspended and I didn't like the hit. I just th- those are the three options. What would you, what do you want your player to do in that situation? If you're on if you're if you're on the Winnipeg bench, what do you want your player to do? Well, games on the line, one goal game, a stick check. It's you're given a one to five percent chance of stopping the goal. Do you want him to turn away and do nothing, or do you want to try to hit him and stop, prevent him from scoring that goal? Okay, but he had a zero percent chance of stopping the goal with the play well, as it played him, out. If he hits him, if he hits him and gets to him quicker, maybe he stops him. Well, exactly. he's not thinking that. Yeah, it, I know he's not thinking that, and he did in fact hold up a little bit. He coasted. The last few steps. I mean, he stopped striding. He could have hit him harder. He could have got there quicker. I guess you could make that argument. It's just, it's such a low percentage play at best. And and these are outliers. These are exceptions to the rules, Ziggy, as opposed to, uh, we don't don't see one of these a game. We don't see one of these a week, I don't think, anymore. If you want to stop them, suspend them. Not a game. You want to stop them? Start giving guys five, ten games. Like you gave Kadri eight games. Forget about repeat offender. If it hit like that, and I know I said about the Kadri hit, hey, Falk had the puck, and Kadri's finishing his check. Kadri's not trying to clip the guy in the head in that situation. I've seen a lot of hits where players try to make head contact. We've seen dozens of them over the years. But if you want to stop them, yeah, you give Kadri eight games. Throw the book at Shifley. Like that... That's how you stop them, and then guys so are just going to be like. You're absolutely convinced that that Shifley couldn't compute that the puck was already in the net on the Evans wraparound. Couldn't compute that in time to properly hold up. No, I yeah, I I don't I don't think I think part of the hit is that he had a rough night as well. Like okay, but that he's, that he's, adds he's, another layer. It does add another layer. It's it's not it's not simple. This is not something simple to just break down and say I like the hit or don't like the hit. Like it's it's very complicated. It's very there's a lot there's a lot to it. One, he was having a bad night. Two, when he sees the kid Evans going down the ice, he's like, okay, that's him. That's not Weber or Gallagher or you know, that's a young kid that I know I can get a hit on. Like, I'm sure all of that played a part when he's chasing him down the ice. And it's not Evan's fault, but when you're coming around the net in an empty netter, 
there's a good chance you're going to get hit really hard in that situation. Like if I was going around the net for a puck with an empty net, you got to believe that. And this Evans is a really good player and I like him a lot, but you got to know that you're going to get hit really hard coming around that net. And no one said that last night. Um, it's, it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, suspend him. I didn't like the hit. It shouldn't have happened, but like, let's be realistic. How many guys that play the game hard are going to, are going to lay off there and say, Oh, this guy's in a vulnerable position. Let's lay off. It doesn't show me, show me. I, I want to see play, play plays where players just say, you know what? The guy's in a vulnerable position. If he scores the goal, he scores the goal. I did the right thing. Show me where that happens. And then we'll talk about it, but I, I don't see it. It's a playoffs. Guys are going to play hard. Like I'm not, I, and I'm, I, but I don't like the hit. Like I can, I, I'm not sitting on the fence with this. I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you the way it is. I'm breaking down the play. What a player's thinking. I'm saying, I don't like the hits to the head. I don't like these vulnerable spots that they're in, but at the same time, guy like Shifley is going to play hard. And I don't know many players that play the game hard that are going to peel off there. I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I don't see that happening. Well, we'll see what the NHL decides to do here. It's very clear. I mean, Shifley was at him from all the way down the ice. Like I said, I thought he, he stopped to coast at a very high speed. And by when I say he coasted, he stopped striding about four or five steps before the collision. I, I just think that the puck was in the net. And at that point, you, you got to jam on the brakes. And I know you said, like Kevin Bieksa, who who broke it all down on Hockey Night in Canada after the game last night. I mean, he probably finishes that check. There's also a part of this, Ziggy, because everything's a factor. Shifley having a tough night against the Deneau line, et cetera. That's a factor. Also, the fact that the mentality we believe, the evolution of the game, it's different now 10 years on from you, Kevin Bieksa's appearance in the Stanley Cup final. Like the game has changed. The mentality is supposed to have changed. And a lot of these hits, you cannot slow them down. It's like you, like you said, it's a fast game. When you slow down, when you slow down these plays, they're all avoidable. All of them. Yeah. Okay. You know, the result, you know, where your body is, you know, that the pucks may be gone or the pucks in the net. Yeah. They're all easy to break down. Once you slow them down, watch it in real time and don't slow it down. I haven't seen it in slow motion, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm sure it looks a hundred times worse when you slow it down. Like I said, he wasn't having a great game and I'm sure there was a little bit more put into it. Like he wanted to make sure he finished well, his check. You, you saw the you pinball. Wanna, you want to put it, you want to put a, an empty net goal in you're I'm going to make you pay for it. But if you have strife after the game and say, Hey, you're going to knock a kid out for the series and playoffs. Of course, he's going to say, I, I don't want to do that. But guys are trying. Guys are, this is the thing. Guys are trying to, to hurt players out there, but are they trying to knock them out and make, not knock them out in a sense, like out cold on the ice, but are they trying to get a licking on them in a game where, you know, you're trying to, Hey, you want to touch the puck tonight? You're going to feel it every time. That's what the playoffs are about. Forget about guys getting hurt and it's going the attrition. down. And, it's putting the doubt in their mind. I understand all of that next time yeah, around. I, I, and yeah, I'm not saying the guys are trying to put each other in the hospital, they're trying to go out there and play the game a hard way. So it's difficult for them. You want to touch the puck? I'm going to make sure I hit you every single time. What is that going to, is that going to, 
those those little hits they add up, right? And it's I'm not saying they're trying to injure players. Is is there respect for players in the league? Is that an issue? It's questionable at times. I I've I've said it on the show more than once. Why do we why did we never see these hits back 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50 years ago? Why did we never see these hits? Well, we did 20 years ago. Scott Stevens used to kill guys. 20 we used to see. But I'm saying like back in the day, like 50 years ago. Well, that's that's my solution. Everyone says, well, what's the solution? Because the games, the players are so fast now. It moves so fast. Players are smarter. They know how to catch guys. My solution, I've said it all. I've said it, and it's the most ridiculous thing. Take the helmets off. Take the helmets off and, I don't know, do like a, a, a standard set of shoulder pads. Where it's the like old Chris three, Chelios shoulder yeah, pads. Yeah, you, you have like three different models where if you want to hit a guy, you 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 better make sure like you, you might throw like the shoulder pads aren't going to save you from injury. They can they can be a weapon though. Like if you had those old plastic big like shoulder pads oh, back yeah. in the day when I was yep. a kid, they'd hurt you, right? The elbow, remember the elbow pads? Mm-hmm. Hard. They used to be all be hard plastic. Yeah, right on the so, outside. Yep. If you want to stop them, yeah, I, I say take that. I say take the helmets off. I don't know what other solution there is. Suspending guys doesn't. Has it worked? Nope. Yeah, I just the hit from Shifley. It's it's easy in slow motion. I'm I'll, I'll I'll tell you right now. You slow that thing down. It's gonna look terrible. I and I don't like it. I don't like hits like this. I don't want guys to get hurt. I just I don't know what else in a, in a playoff game when a guy's trying to put an empty net goal in. Marner tried to get run over. One of the last, what, what game did Marner? Somebody tried to, I think it was a game against Winnipeg. Somebody tried to put him through the boards after he scored. And Marner saw him out of the corner of his eyes. That was a late hit. It was against Winnipeg. I'm pretty sure it was like one of the last games against them where he put a goal in, I believe at home, and someone tried to to, to knock him out. Like I, I've seen it. It happens so many times. Like you're going to, you want to put an empty netter in like guys are not happy I, at the end of the game and they're going to, they're going to do this. I like also, but, but Ziggy and they're two different sports. They move at different paces. The national football league has gone out of its way to protect quarterbacks. Now, some of this is done in the name of offense, but some of this also is done in the name of all the lawsuits that the NFL has faced. They've gone out of their way to protect quarterbacks. They have also instituted a defenseless receiver penalty. You cannot, you cannot as a cornerback or especially as a safety blow up a defenseless receiver across the middle of the field. Like how many passes used to get broken up in the NFL Mm -hmm. because safeties would just catch a receiver with guy goes up, makes a catch. He's in a defenseless position, and as he's coming down, you blow him up, you separate him from the ball, incomplete pass. Or he makes a catch, he comes down, he's made one or two steps, you blow him up, ball's loose, it's a fumble, he's pancaked on the uh, on the turf. Antonio Brown, th- there were some awful, awful games between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals about a half decade ago. And Antonio Brown got blown up once or twice. And that was right around the time that the rule got changed. What I'm saying is, is I didn't think that Jake Evans had an opportunity to defend himself. Vulnerable player. Agree. hundred percent. He is looking to wrap that puck into the net and he is not anticipating. 
somebody coming at that rate of speed from that far down the ice. He's got a one-track mind at that point. Get this puck in the net. Get us a two-goal lead so that we can take this thing home. That's... He, he didn't have a chance to defend himself. And the old argument in hockey, I don't hear it nearly as much now as, as we used to hear it just a few years ago, but the old argument is to say, well, you got to protect yourself. Like putting the responsibility on the guy who got hit. I, I didn't think he had a chance to defend himself in that situation. I So, so I'll take what you say. What do you want Shifley to do differently? And one of my responses will be, what does Jake Evans have to do? Because it's not like he's going straight to the net. He's got the puck behind the net. He's coming back out in front. He's trying to wrap the thing home, and that's obviously what he's looking at, trying to finish that job. I would have missed an empty net because I would have been worried about getting hit in that spot. Like, I'm by myself for a little bit of time. I'm coming around the net like that. I probably missed the net because I'm trying to wrap the puck around with keeping my body behind the net. That's what I would have probably done, like, the majority of the time. And I'm not putting this on Evans. I'm just saying that's something I would have done because I knew I was gonna, you're going to get hit really hard in that spot, in a spot you can't defend yourself. Okay. Then Winnipeg yep. comes back down, scores, and ties the game. And what's your coach saying? There you go. I Yeah. I, I, I'm with you 100%. And then you're, you're taking heat. I mean, you miss an empty net like that, wrap around a guy's barreling down on you, you know, finish the play. Like, if you miss that, you're not going to get in trouble. Go, it, a wraparound like that, where you know you're going to get absolutely smoked coming the other way, no one's going to get upset with you. Like that's not a Patrick Stefan, you know, yeah. it's not a Patrick Stefan empty net. It's behind the net. You're chasing a puck down. But the whole Marner one was Pionk, right? And that's he tried right. To, yep. He tried. He tried to knock him out after the empty net. And the thing is, Marner saw him. Nothing happened. But that's worse than this. It, this just it was a worse result. And, you know, I'm not going to come on here and just talk about a play that is the, it's the right thing to say in the morning. I don't. I've I, like, How many times have I done that? I'm telling you exactly from a player's point of view. I'm going to tell you I didn't like it at all. I probably didn't like it more than Kevin or, or a lot of analysts. I, I think they should be taken out of the game, those hits. But they, like, what do you expect players that play hard to do? They play it hard and it's like take open ice hits out of the game. Like, what do you, like, what do you want? Like, I, I, I don't know. It's hard. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's really tough. And, the, and like I said before, if you slow this down, I'm sure it looks awful. Like it looks, you're probably going to get an elbow to the head. Like I, I don't know, like some elbows to the head guys do guys. Is it intentional? Yes, of course. The one yesterday, like I said, I need to I need to slow it down and see it more. I saw it a handful of times. I don't think he tried to like Shifley's not a like I don't think Shifley's a dirty player. I think a lot of what the player and knowing them and knowing guys that play against them, like when I message players about certain hits during the season, I say, What do you think? And they say dirty player meant to do it. Like that's how we talk, right? Like, yeah, you know that guy's looking to catch a guy. Like we talk about guys talk about that. They know the reputation of certain players. Shifley's not that guy. He's not that guy to go around trying to elbow players. Well, he looked totally frazzled too, Ziggy. Like he, he his his pupils he no, were, his pupils were the size of pins 
And he was kind of that stunned look on his face. And, you know, the hair was coming out the side of the helmets. He kind of had that crazy man look. He ends up skating off the ice because he gets the five-minute charging major plus the 10-minute game misconduct. And Cassie Campbell-Pascal pointed this out on the postgame of Hockey Night in Canada, but he gets underneath on his way to the dressing room and then turns back, and it's almost like in that moment the camera caught him. He'd come back down to earth. Like, holy crap, what just happened there? He had no idea he was going to hit him that hard because he... A guy like Shifley knows I'm going to come around the net like that for an empty net. I know I'm going to get hit by a train right now and like get my head down, not down where you don't know what's coming, like get my body embraced for contact here. And it's not on Evans, but a player like I'm just letting you know from my experience, I know in that situation, nine times out of 10, somebody's going to try to put me through the boards behind the net. So I would have tried to wrap that puck around and use the net as as kind of a shield and, and to prevent a player from hitting me. Like it wasn't like it was a flying elbow and his elbow was in the air. He's he's like I think a guy like Shifley's literally trying to stop an empty net there. Like he thought he could get him before he wrapped it in. I'm sure if he slowed it down, there's no chance. He had no chance of that happening, but he's not thinking that. I tell you, he's, he had a bad game. And you're looking to throw hits on guys and send a message for next game. Did he mean to knock him out? I don't think he did at all. That wasn't a situation where a player was like shooting the puck and like skating back towards the opposite way or past the puck coming across the blue line or something. And you catch a guy watching his pass or watching his shot that that wasn't the situation. So I didn't like it. I think these hits have to be taken out of the game. But guys like that play the game hard, and I gave you the three options. You decide what you think you would do, or you think a guy that plays the game hard, and you tell me if anything else should different should have happened or or could have happened. How about that ticky tack slashing call on Riley Smith in overtime in the Vegas Colorado that was game? Bad. Like I just, I just, I find it so fascinating that you can literally maul people, haul them down trip them, horse collar them, and you won't get anything in overtime. But there are these two, like, so-called objective penalties that 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 get called. We've You and I have talked about the puck over the glass. I, th- I think that needs to be handled like an icing call. If you puck over the glass, you don't get a penalty, but you're just not allowed to change your players and the face-off. Obviously, well, the puck over the glass penalty occurs when it's in your end you get the face off in your own end you're not allowed to make a change that that's the immediate move i would make on that one and then this stuff with the slash if the stick breaks or if a guy drops his stick as was the case last night and riley smith is in the penalty box less than a minute into overtime boom colorado scores on their brilliant power play and they're up two games to none i mean that that's the that's the sort of call you're vegas ziggy you're slight Maybe you're not slightly, but you are inferior to the Colorado Avalanche who look right now like they're the best team in the NHL. And you got a shot to get out of there, out of Denver, with a split. And that penalty puts you on a kill. Against that power play. Enjoy it. But what's the funny thing is both coaches said the opposite thing, right? Bednar said, in that situation, I would want that call. (laughs) And then DeBoer said, just the soft call. (laughs) Of course. So both coaches, I mean, you see the game totally different. You want to know how good officiating is? 
for me, watching a game on my season end, like every game you play in, you think the, the officiating is 80% against you. And then you, you watch a game at the end of the season or I watch them now. Like, yeah, I'll make different observations on calls. But for the most part, and I know everyone complains about the officiating and they get a lot of calls wrong, but it's pretty incredible what they can do in officiating games. Like it's, it's darn good. But yeah, they're going to make mistakes every once in a while. The Kotkaniemi roughing penalty last night. Mm-hmm. I thought that was even worse. He finished his check and just kind of like stood there. I forget who it was on, but he finished his check and he got the call. I just was like, I couldn't believe it. How? Like, how was that a roughing penalty? It was a guy that finished his check and barely hit him. I don't know. Like, I don't really care what the calls are. I don't care if you call everything. You just, as a player, you want the same thing. And it's hard to keep it consistent. Like for an official, like it's very hard to call the game the whole way. Because every play, you could have like two similar plays where a guy takes a different angle or the slash or the hook is is just, it's different. There's like different intent in a certain penalty and it's a different call. And it's hard as players because the way we see the game, we don't get a chance to review plays, maybe in an intermission, but we just want to know. We just want to know what the calls are going to be that night. But I didn't like uh, those are two calls. I just I I couldn't believe. Uh, after coughing a bunch of games up late over the last two and a half three weeks, the Blue Jays get one back last night. A come from behind walk off victory. We'll break that down with Kevin Barker for the full half hour at seven thirty. You can bark at Barker. We'll open up the phone lines and uh, have the texts roll in. We're going to hear this guy's voice in just a moment. He's actually going to join us at 8.05. Joshua Cloak covering the Maple Leafs and Toronto FC for The Athletic. He had a question that Mitch Marner answered. We'll play that in full for you, and then he will join us to uh, give his thoughts, not just on Marner, but on the season-ending press conferences uh, handed out by Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe yesterday and the commitment to the core four. Uh, is what it sounds like. Tim Graham of the Athletic Buffalo later on in the program. The Blue Jays are playing there. The Sabres just won the draft lottery. Born in Stewie for Hockey Central at 8.30. We'll talk about the season-ending pressers. You'll hear Cloak and Marner. We'll play you some Dubas. We'll play you some Shanny. And we'll give you our takes on what happens next. Coming up. Mitch, you mentioned a few times wanting to be a, a better person. Is there something that you want to do differently next season to better prepare for the playoffs? Nope. You know, I thought we had a lot of great looks. I thought our line really did do a lot of great things. I know everyone just looks at the numbers and stats, and I thought our line did a lot of great things in every hockey game, and, and we had a lot of great chances to produce goals and produce chances, and they didn't go in the net. It sucks. Our line did five-on-five, five, creating energy and just what we did every night. I thought we competed and, you know, we didn't quit ever and never had any doubts in each other. And that's something that uh, you want in a, in a line and as a team, so. That is the voice of Josh Cloak, who will join us at 8.05. He asked the question and then Mitch Marner. Man, there is a lot going on. This, this, this is when it's not fun to be the local kid who plays in the local market. If, if you want... Exhibit A, Ziggy, of what people talk about or think they're talking about when they say, well, I don't know if any of the local guys want to come home and play at home. What Marner has 
gone through in the last 48, 72 hours. First of all, let me just say this. I don't care if he went golfing the day after game seven. I, I don't know how you feel about that. What's the alternative? Sit at home? Stew? What, or it, if somebody reported Mitch Marner the day after game seven, sat at home and played video games all day. Well, whatever your hobby is, your hobby is. It's optics and hockey. It's optics. So he should have stayed home and played Fortnite? Yeah, I, it's, I know. And then it's fine. I know. I went and played Disc Frisbee. What's it called? Disc Golf. What's the name of it? Sorry, I'm, this is a bad time for this. But did, what's did, it called? Disc the golf, golf thing? Yeah, disc golf? The golf thing with the, with the Frisbee. I don't even know what it's called. I've never played it before. Vic's laughing at me. Silent Vic's laughing at me behind the class. I mean, disc ultimate, golf. is it Ultimate Frisbee? Ultimate Frisbee, it, that's the name. Okay, it's Ultimate, ultimate Frisbee? Frisbee? Okay, all right. <laughs> Okay. Like if you go and play ultimate frisbee, is it fine? Probably. Unless you tear plays, your unless you tear your knee. Yeah, if, if he goes and plays soccer in a, in a f- open field, is it fine? Yeah. But golf, there's just it, it's just it's too leisurely. It's like it's, it's, like, it's with the lockdown. It's like you're outside. Well, you're golf. It's a privilege. Like it's you shouldn't be doing that. We're in a pet. Like it's the same kind of thing. It's just it the optically it looks bad. What do I think? I could care less. Thank you. Okay, that's yeah. good. Oh, okay. sorry. No, I just, I'm just I'm I'm letting you know the way everyone else sees it and the way it's being perceived, and then I'll let you know what I think. I could care less. It's over. The only thing I will say, the only thing I will say, is that when your season ends before it should, and if I'm a Leafs fan, I say that the season ended before it should. Correct. But like, if you were a Montreal Canadian. And the season ended. I don't think it would have been too much of a surprise. And although there was more expectation on the Habs this year, like their goal was to get out of the North. Trust me, when they started this, Bergevin wanted to get out of the North, at least have a good series against whoever, Edmonton, Toronto, or Winnipeg in, in, in the division final. But I wouldn't be seen before... Like, I wouldn't be seen before the cup was handed out. Like your goal as a player is to win it all. And I don't want to see someone at their cottage on Instagram. I don't want to see somebody in Cabo. I don't want to see somebody on a boat in, in Monaco. Well, do you, do you remember, do you remember when they were rookies? Marner was a rookie. The, the kids were rookies and they went to Tampa and Florida to play the Lightning and Panthers, and I, I get this out of order, but it was like four years ago. And images on Instagram ended up being posted by Mitch Marner and others of the of the guys fishing. And then they went in and played a bad Panthers team and got absolutely smoked. They got absolutely smoked. They fished on the off day in between, and people gave them crap for that. That was like yeah. a big scandal for forty eight hours in this market. It was it sh- it, it it shouldn't matter, but it does. Like. Who cares what you do on an off day? Your season is over. Who cares that you're at your I would have been more angry at Marner for golfing if they'd won game seven, had a, had the day in between, and had <laughs> yeah. Winnipeg last night. I that's, would have been angrier at him for golfing and expending energy and heat that's, on the that's off day. A, that's, but that's a sensible way to, th- to, th- to look at it. And a lot of things we do is, are not sensible. <laughs> but that's... But I will say this about golfing in between games. Like... I know players that in Carolina, 
the year they went to the cup final, they golfed every other day. They were at the golf course every other day. They played, they had a day off or optional skate. A lot of guys golfed. I know, I know guys on that team was at 2001. They golfed every day. They didn't play. Uh, I wasn't on the team then, but I just, I know that. And I know there are a number of players. Like I don't have an issue with it. It just looks bad. And the whole thing when the season ends, like I'm just thinking about me and you can still go and do it, but don't be posting on it and making sure, make sure you're there with no one that's going to be filming stuff. Like it, it's a dangerous time. Confiscate today, right? like, the phones. Yeah. We all know this. It's a dangerous time. Like I'm, that's just me though. And does it matter? No, it's a ridiculous take and, and like, who cares, right? Like your season's over, let's go. And I don't know, as a coach now, like when you are UFT seasons have ended twice, like I'm just like, after the last game, it's done. There's no sitting there and getting upset about it. Like you do everything you can up until that point, that game seven or that final game, you get knocked out or you win the cup or you win your championship. And then, like, it's over. Like, it's literally he, over the day after. Go and do whatever you he want. He could like, have played Fortnite for 12 hours, come down with carpal tunnel syndrome, and we would have heard about some kind of surgery in the summer, and people would have said, what's wrong with his wrists? Like, it, it, yeah. it's just... I'm Yeah, so, yeah, I just... I don't want to see... Personally, I don't want to see guys doing fun things before the cup is handed out. I, is that... I, I know it's a ridiculous okay. take. Okay, but I, I don't know. Okay, but it's a ridiculous take. I just I don't want to see guys like I don't want to see you posting that you're on a yacht in Monaco when they're in the Stanley Cup finals. Like that and especially if you should be there. Just don't do it. Just don't go and go and have fun. Like I, I go and do just make sure no one finds out. That's it. I, yeah, which in 2021 and it isn't just yeah, necessary. It just isn't just social media posts. It it could be Anybody, and I know in COVID it's a little different, but it could be anybody at the golf course. So you'll never guess who I saw. And then that person tweets it out or sneaks a photo with their phone and look at who the, look who this is. And there's mullet man Mitch with his with his knee socks pulled up and and you know he's he's swinging a five iron. I mean, who knows, right? Now a rumor um, or a report came out from from our buddy friend of the show Ian Tullock that Marner at some point refused to change roles on the power play. Now, Ziggy, I, I will cop to this. You and I discussed this off air the other day because I had heard the same thing, but I only had one source on it, couldn't corroborate it, wasn't comfortable going with it. So this has been floating for a little while. Here's Mitch Marner responding to rumors that he was approached about his role changing on the power play and he refused. Yeah, uh, it's a complete lie. So that's, like I said, I've deleted all social, so I haven't seen anything said or anything, but uh, my agent called me and told me about that. And I don't know who put that story out there, but it's, I mean, just people trying to get their name out there and trying to make themselves, I guess, noticeable. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the world we live in nowadays with people on social media trying to make someone else look bad and I play any role in the power play. I wouldn't pay play power play. I, I don't care. I just, everyone wants to win here. So it's a complete lie and it, it sucks that stuff like that's being said, but not surprised either at the same time. So. And the agent Darren Ferris was online saying that this is uh there's a lack of accountability in media, et, et cetera, et cetera. 
So there's a bit of a back and forth going on here. We've got a he said, he said situations, uh, rumors abound. And it's going to be hard, Ziggy, for Mitch to be the sympathetic figure among a significant portion of the fan base on this topic, especially once he and his agent are involved, because there's a significant portion of the fan base who feels that Marner held up the organization for the money that he's now making. My response to that, of course, would be if the player can secure every cent of his contract, good for him. If you've got a problem with Mitch Marner's contract, you've got a problem with the front office that signed that contract just like Mitch Marner did. Yeah, well, I'll first respond to the the report that he didn't like who like I want to know who like who said it that's like, okay but who, you you know sourcing right I know I just like well somebody on the team said something to someone for that to come out or whoever came out with the report initially but heard Ziggy, from someone Ziggy, this tied to the team like yeah, and this is typically how it works as I said to you before and you just so we're above board here you and I did have an off-air discussion about this a couple of days ago right yeah, like lots we, of yeah, yeah lots lots of people have been asking me about it. Right. And I just I, I and what's my response? Like, I haven't heard anything. I I don't want to talk about right. something that I don't trust my own people that tell me stuff. I agree. I agree. And there's and there's a lot of things that I hear I don't even talk about on the radio because I've been told that can't be said on air. Okay, like, and I don't bring it. My point my point is is yeah. I couldn't get it corroborated. So, I, journalistically speaking from with an anonymous sourcing uh, on a story you need co- corroboration you need more than one source so working off of that presumption Ian Tullock who, who who reported on on this suggestion that Mitch Marner might have told the coaching staff where to go when he was presented with with the notion of changing roles on the power play i presume from a journalistic standards point of view, that there was more than one source on that 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 corroborated the story. You get the exact same story from two or more people, you're confident enough to go with it. That That's what I'm saying. I'm with you on that. If you don't hear it from two people or you don't know your contact... And the is, details are the same. Rock, yeah. Yeah. But here's the... Th- so here's the thing about it. I've played on a lot of teams or some of the star players don't want to play on certain parts of the power play. Like, am I missing something with this story? Like who cares if Marner doesn't want to play the half wall? Well, the like, problem, Ziggy, the problem is, is the power play has been poly Wally crappy since, I know, but since if, the if, start if of March, play, that's the if issue. A, if a player doesn't think he's going to be good down low and it's going to change things. I, I would, as a coach, like I want my players to tell me where they want to play on the power play. Like I don't have a problem with what happened. Maybe the delivery of how Marner told Keefe or, or Manny Maholtra, but a player that says, I don't want to play the middle and bumper spot. It's, it happens. Like I'm, I don't, I, maybe I'm missing something here. I think, I think the media is making, even if this is true, I think we're making a bigger, a way, not, not you and me, just in general, like I'm, I, it doesn't bother me. Like Marner's like, I'm not playing low goes up to Keefe. Like, I'm not, this is not my strength. Okay. So I, that's just, that's just me for the power play. And I think it's different for lots of di- other aspects. Like if you're talking about five on five play, like we're dumping the puck in now. And the player says, I don't dump the puck in. 
then I think it's a problem. But a skilled spot in a game, like obviously all players want to do anything they can to help their team out. But if I go to like my, my Austin Matthews and I say, Austin, we're going to put you in front of the net now because things aren't working. Do you, do you do like if Austin Matthews says, no, I, I actually, I, I don't prefer that. I'm a shooter. I've, I've got, I, I, I was on pace for 120 goals this year. I'm better on that flank. Are, are you going to get mad at Austin Matthews? No, I think the issue though is that the power play <laughs> sucked for two, two and a half months. So who does it fall so on? The player, is so it on the coaching the, staff? No, no, then? no. So it's not the player that, so the issue is not the player going to the coach and saying, I don't want to play there. So it's not an attitude thing because the way I'm taking the way the media is perceive it is this is a player with a bad attitude that doesn't want to buy in. Like, what is it? Well, but What's if the, the coaches problem? are going to get hung with the lack, with the responsibility for, for not doing enough to change the structure, the system, where guys are placed on the power play. If you've got players, a player or players who are refusing and using their their leverage to to refuse changes that coaches want to implement. Well, you can't. What are you going to do if you're Manny Malhotra or, or, or Sheldon Keefe? You either appease the player and not much changes, and you get the same results, which is how it seemed to be for the Maple Leafs, or you say screw off, pal. Even though you make eight times what I'm making, and and. And then you got a pissed off star player. I I, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a chicken well, or an did, egg did, thing. So if did, we're going to hang Keith and Malhotra with this. We we should have all the details. Well, why did no one ask? I didn't hear anyone ask Keith. What about did Martin not want to play a certain spot that you wanted him the power play? Like, I I know there was a lot yesterday. I don't remember that being asked. Like yeah, unless I'm I with- unless unless I missed it. Like that's who I want to hear from. Sheldon, did you did did Mitch tell you he didn't want to play certain spots in the power play? I don't remember it. But I would rather ask Keith than, than Mitch Marner about it and say, is this a player who didn't want to do something on the power play? Like, if that's the case where it was like, Mitch, we want you to get in front of the net. We want you to go down low. And if the player just kept saying, nope, this is where I'm playing. Like, it depends what what the conversation was like to me. Was it a no and move on? Or was it a, was it a conversation where they heard a player? Like, I, I don't like certain players in different spots when I'm coaching. And then I actually talk to the player and hear their point of view. And I understand the situation differently after. I don't think a lot of coaches are like that. I think you see the game a certain way. You're on the line. Like keeps the one that keeps the one that wears what happens good or bad. The co- it's up to the coach. Like when you're an assistant coach, you're Manny Mahalter on the bench. You can have all these ideas on. And I know he's the guy that runs the power play, but just in general, the things that happen during a game, the assistant coaches, you're involved, but at the end of the day, the head coach wears it. Like, if I'm an assistant coach on a bench and I'm telling Keith something and it doesn't work out, he's the one that takes the heat, not me. And if it does work out, it's him, not me. Like, he, the coach is the guy. So, I just, with this whole situation with Marner, I, like I said, I'm, if, if it's an attitude thing, sure, I think that's a bigger story and something you have to dig into. But if it's a matter of fact, if a guy doesn't think, that he's better down low than he is on the half wall. I, I don't know. I've seen it. I, I've seen a lot worse than that. And I don't know if it's just Toronto or it's Mitch Marner and the fact the power play was bad, but I don't know. It's not, it's not a big, <laughs> it's just, I, I think it's there's a so big many deal when I you think, poop the bed against yeah. the Montreal Canadians uh, and you're heavily favored. It's a yeah, big I, deal 
Yeah. When I just think there's, the I think, I, I, I think the, I don't think that's the reason the power play was bad because Mitch Marner didn't want to play in a spot. I think it goes a lot deeper. That's all. Texts are rolling in. Hugh Burrow <laughs> will jump in for the panel discussion. We'll get to some Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas noise. I'm sure Hugh has an opinion on the Shifley Jake Evans hit. The Blue Jays with a big win at home against Miami and Buffalo last night. Kevin Barker for the full half hour at 7.30. Stay with us. we got to get to Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas noise. We'll do that in just a couple of minutes. You can vote in the Twitter troll poll. That's Scotty Mac thinks at Mike Zygamanis at Hugh W. Burl. Will the core four... Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, be back with the Leafs, each of them, all of them, together, next year, yes or no? We'll get to the results of that so far. Get your votes in. Dubas, Shanahan, more Leafs talk, and the Shifley on Evans hit as Montreal takes game one in Winnipeg. appear to just now you welded out of here <laughs> we i may- think i think i just heard in my headset that somebody is making the conversion over to plant-based milk going forward Let's just, Are you going uh, almond milk from now on? Let's just be honest. We wake up in the morning, and the first thing we do is we get the coffee going. Now, we're, we've been straddling a fine line this week with the expiry date on the milk carton. <laughs> June 1st. Yep. Oh, they weren't kidding. It's June 3rd. Mm. Didn't smell, but I just got to the bottom of my, what do you call this? Ther- it's not a thermos. Traveler the, mug. It's traveler's mug of, of coffee and um, somewhat clumpy. So, so it's like drinking sheep kefir then. Yeah, we just yeah. had to uh, head out to the sink there for just a second and... I was worried about you. Empty so that. So you're going on... Was it, hey, yeah, you that, probably that, thought, was it something I said? Like, Jeez. Like, hey, now you know. That can't happen with almond milk, all right? It can't happen. The, the funniest <laughs> thing about almond, almond milk... milk is not milk. Let's let's establish that right off the and bat. A milk's only milk if it comes from a cow yeah. or a goat. If anything, it's a juice. I guess it's nut juice. Uh, yeah, is that what you mean? Yes. What, a, what, what do you want me to call it? Yes, All right, <laughs> let's just file that one under what, no what do you comment. Want <laughs> Not going to follow up that statement with anything that could get me in trouble. What do you want me to call it? It's not called almond milk. Like, what do you okay, want? Like, okay. give me well, something. I can tell you this: if you call it that, <laughs> you're, call it, it milk. Okay. You're, All right. Well, I'll gonna, go back to milk then. <laughs> Thing with almond milk too, the expiry date's always like six weeks ahead. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. 
All right. Didn't think we were um, no, we're going to kick that off at 7 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> From clumpy uh, milk to euphemisms for <laughs> almond milk. Um, there we go. Brendan Shanahan. Brendan Shanahan on what was lacking for the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Montreal Canadiens. If there's a pattern that certainly has developed, it's, it's not through lack of desire of our players. It wasn't through lack of preparation. Um, I felt all season long, like I like I said earlier, um, there was a not just a comfort in playing physical games, but there was there was an enthusiasm and there was confidence in their defensive abilities. But yet, there's a killer instinct that is missing that we need to address. What the hell does that mean? I don't know. I thought they addressed it. Uh, I don't know. With all the off season, so, moves, I thought they had so that you, all nailed down. You, you go, yeah. you go and horn up on skill one year, and then, yeah. and then the next year, you bring in Bogosian and Simmons and a veteran like Thornton. Yeah. And you add Foligno, yeah, Riley Nash at the trade deadline. So TJ Brody, they've gone about it in a couple of different ways. I, what is killer instinct? It's, it's, it's so it's something I talk about competitive excellence. And I got taught this early as a kid uh, by Dan Poliziani, who's a, my, was my minor hockey coach for two years. And mm. it was an uncomfortable conversation to have something with a kid that just, you know, all kids growing up, what do we want to do? Want to score goals, have fun, win games, win trophies, win medals. Um, and he, I, he coached me for my first two, my last two years before going to play junior hockey. And what it means is it's the uncomfortable parts of the game. What don't you want to do as a kid? Well, you don't want to play defense. Let me tell you this right now. No player, kid growing up, wants to play defense, wants to block shots, wants to wants to do anything other than score goals. Or if you're a defenseman, stop goals and shoot bombs from the point. So he's talking about that competitive excellence where it's killer instinct. It's when the game's hard, you elevate your game. Some, there's a different part of you that comes up. Kind of like what we saw to the Leafs when they got down in games five and six, right? Five and six, they got down, then they come back, and then all of a sudden, it's you completely change, right? Well, it's, it's during the regular season. Well, what situations? When they pull the goaltender, I talk about this all the time with you. Why didn't they play the whole game like they did when they were down by two goals with three minutes to play? That's what that competitive excellence is. But you got to bring that out when the game's not on the line. Like, you got to bring that out. You got, that has to come out of you at all times. Anytime. Like, watch the Carolina Hurricanes play hockey. That's competitive excellence for 60 minutes, and they Colorado. don't stop. Colorado. Colorado has it. Like, look at all the teams in it. Montreal. Tampa Bay, for the most part. Tampa Bay is really skilled, and they got a lot of good stuff going on. But teams like Carolina. Are they good on paper? They're okay. They're they're not like they're not the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're not the Tampa Bay Lightning. Look up the Boston Bruins. They just they rise to the occasion. The harder the game is, the better those those teams get. And that's what Brendan Shanahan's talking okay, about. Okay, so they're. I mean, I have a hard time hearing your explanation and not linking that to quote heart. I'm not saying that's what you're saying. But that's sound, right. That sounds that's like a easy, heart. It's it's just it's just not a nice way to say it. You are correct, but it's like when it's like when we see a player not engaged, and you say, "Well, we say the nice thing is the guy just is not playing hard enough for me." Well, you can also say he doesn't play with a lot of heart. You just 
it's not a nice way to put it. Brandon Shanahan and the way I put it, it's like it's the nice way. If you want to say heart, sure. It's a little bit more complicated than that because you can care and just it, it, like it may never be part of your game. Like I'm not like the talk today and the talk yesterday was can you like what the fans want to know and whoever's listening right now, what they want to know about the Leafs is can these players learn that? Is this something they can learn or is this something that you need to bring in other players that either you have it in your makeup, your DNA, or you don't? I think players can learn it. I think it's harder later in your career to go. I think it's really hard depending on what market you play in. And then I think it's really hard on how much money you make. Well, that's, I was like, going to say, if you've got guaranteed money, if, if you're not geared that way, if 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 you're not, but motivated. then look at McKin. But 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 then watch a guy like McKinnon. Like, what would you do if you're McKinnon right now, making less money than? No disrespect. I, I, Nylander and this was is a guy who's one, also one, been quoted as saying, "I'll take less to stay here because I want to keep winning with this group." But we're talking about salary cap hits and Nylander. Like, I, I'm he's a value contract, but doesn't McKinnon make less than William Nylander? Mm -hmm. So does Go the entirety of that Bruins top line. Go and watch the top Bruins line and, and McKinnon. And the worst part is people are going to say that's the worst take ever. Go and watch a game and then come back to me and write me. But if you want to talk about what players make and how much they're engaged, and I'm not saying that, that I'm just, I'm trying to bring up examples of leaf players and what they make. And then you can throw in like what happened, like M Matthews and Marner in the playoffs. And it's the thing is, it's very tough to evaluate that, right? Like, I find that very difficult coming on the radio, talking in the morning and trying to discuss different situations and games with fans on what exactly they think hard is and what you and me think hard is because it's different, right? The evaluation is different and that's the whole eye test. It's being around sports. It's being in the game. It's being an ex player. Those things are very hard to judge, I find. And people are going to have different opinions, different co I've different coaches on a bench could have different. You could have 20 guys, player personnel and scouts in a room on an, in an organization are going to have different views on how hard guys play and their heart and their competitive excellence. So I, I, I think they can learn it. I think these guys can do it. Um, and that's why I said, I think the four of them should come back. Like I, I don't make a move one. I think, they're still young enough where they can find it. And the second part is the alternative is not good. Like until somebody brings something across my desk and said, what would you think of this trade proposal? Like until I see something that would knock my socks off, I'm Kyle Dubas. Like that's, that's it. That's, this is who you have. Like it's so hard to go out and get Marners and Nylanders. And that's why you just, Everyone was calling for Nylander to get traded a year ago. And he was the best player on the ice this series. So you just, it's its hard to stick with. This is the hardest week. Kyle Dubas talked about it. If you're like, how about this? I don't know if we're going to play or not, but if you're happy, if you're happy about what happened, if you're happy with the team and the players after game four, do three games really change it for you? Like, that's my question for everyone. Does three games yes. change it? Yeah, the way it is. So three games. See, for me, it do, like it doesn't. Like if I'm evaluating players, 
Like I, Ziggy, it's it, not, it's it not, doesn't. It's not just the three games. It's the importance of those three games. Um, all they 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 shrank away from shrunk away from it. They they, you, they talk, turned it on you, for periods of time yeah. in the third period in games five and six. Yeah, and, and Ziggy, you're talking about competitive excellence, and you would know more than than any of us because you've been in those locker rooms, you've been on the ice, and everything. And that's great from a player's perspective. I'm I'm talking from a fan's perspective. Competitive excellence, heart, determination, whatever you want to call it, this team does not have it simple as that they do not have it because if they did we wouldn't be sitting here talking about a uh, for another first round exit again fifth straight year Yeah, okay but they were kids in the first couple of years and they were yeah, underdogs in anymore. those years no i agree with they're that anymore and, they went and, out and they got all tough they got they got their grit they said they the were tough missing. part they the did, tough part they didn't the, they're the still the same this, team yeah the tough part about this series is that they got to a 3-1 lead without their top two performers of the regular season. And then they expected the, the win, the fourth game to just happen. And it was, there was bad in game five. Nylander might've been the only player that showed up game six. I think it was bad across the board. They were lucky. You know what I mean? To even be in that towards the end. And then game seven, everything's like, you don't know what can happen in a game seven. So the hard part is that they did it without neat. They did it without Matthews and Marlin, uh, uh, Marner for, you know, up until get, to get that three, one lead. And then all of a sudden they needed everybody like to close out a series. Very often do you have passengers and there was just too many passengers at different times throughout the series. One, when they got up three, one, and then one when games five and six, and then game seven, no one really showed up. And I give a lot of credit to the Canadians. Like, believe me, I feel like I'm on an island that was the only one saying that this is going to be, this isn't going to be a cakewalk for like, like I do think the Leafs can win this in four or five, but it's not going to be easy. And that proved to be true. Yeah, I, ju I just think we got to be with narratives. It's like, well, Taylor Hall can't win anything. Well, okay. Does that mean Mitch Marner can't at some point? Right. I mean, you, you, it, Maybe if it, if it, well, no, but if it's a team effort thing, then it's not all on Taylor Hall. The fact that the Oilers sucked or the fact that the New Jersey devils couldn't get it done in the playoffs the year that they made it when he won the MVP award, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's either one or the other. But, but when you're one of those core four, you're supposed to step. I yeah, sat here yeah. every morning and said, I'm waiting for the breakout game yeah. from 34 and 16. Cause surely to God, it has to be in there. If they play often enough, Maximum seven games in this series, it'll happen at some point. Yeah. It never did. It never did. And sometimes you need your best players to put you over the top. It's not like the Leafs were blown out in these games by the Habs. They fell behind 3 nothing in game five, 2 nothing in game six. They stormed back, and then overtime's a crapshoot. Game seven, they got absolutely stifled and yeah. locked down, and there was no way Carey Price was giving up a multi-goal lead in a third consecutive game. Everybody, fell, everybody fell in love with the regular season, and, and I think we've learned maybe this season has driven it home more than others. It doesn't matter. 
the regular season doesn't matter. It's just get into the playoffs. That's where that's where the cream is supposed to rise to the top, not not the curdled cream you just had in your coffee. That's disgusting. But but the good stuff is supposed to rise to the top. The, again, this is the same team, different year, same well, team. It, it, uh, un, until they're not, this is the same the, team. There is there is insight to be gained from the regular season, which is are you engaged consistently night in and night out. They were much better that way this year than they were last year. I think that's inarguable. Then somebody's going to want to say, well, you know, the division was easy. Well, they were still in their division at that point of the playoffs, right? They were playing another Canadian team. Yeah. So they're playing a team that they saw a lot in the regular season where they looked a lot better than in the 1920 regular season pre-COVID. Right? There was more consistency. There was more consistent engagement. Obviously, they had 35 wins in 56 games. That's pretty good. Like, it's... It's just... So, so why, do we, why do we believe, or do we believe, that it's going to be any different next year? What... It's not, it's, it's not about it's not about that though. Like that's I know that's what everyone wants not. the answers to. It, it, well, we don't know. That's the thing. You don't know. Well, no, it's, no, it's no, hard no, no. But I'm asking here. the question: What makes us think that it could be different next year? Here's here's what somebody's going to say. Well, Alexander Ovechkin took mm-hmm. him forever. You know, the St. Louis Blues won a Stanley Cup, supposedly past their window, right? So. My, but my red flag for that is huh. you have three years left on Austin yeah. Matthews' yeah. contract. Wait till, Boston, wait till Boston and Tampa come back into the division next you know, year, you, too. I'm, I, I can sit here and, and say with 100% certainty that the Edmonton Oilers are also a mess. Yeah, absolutely. But Ken Holland has double the runway, the six years left on Connor McDavid's contract to try to clean that mess up than Kyle Dubas does on the Austin Matthews and William Nylander contract, and then, oh, by the way, you've got Tavares and Marner up the year after that. So it, it this whole thing, well, you know, they'll figure it out at some point. Yeah, I'm down I'm down to find that Maybe out. Maybe they will. But I, what I don't want is for this team to splinter in multiple different directions when they become UFAs three and four summers from now. That's what I do. I want this to happen before then. So there is a time pressure here, and that's the reality of it based on the way that they drew up the second contracts for these guys and the timeline of Tavares' UFA signing. Yeah. Can you just imagine a bigger team with a bigger swing than what the Leafs went through this year? Like, look at where we are today and look, and if they would have just put one goal in. Well, Tampa Bay Bay a couple years ago when they got swept by Columbus. After winning the President's Trophy. No one got moved. Like, I know they made some adjustments with their third line. But think about this organization from everybody from top to bottom. Because Tampa didn't really, they changed the makeup of their team a little bit. A little but bit, yeah. Not the, they, they didn't get the, they didn't have the questions that, and the doubt that people are doubting in Toronto. There is no way. And I know Tampa is not the same market as Toronto, but these players, the players and management in Tampa are not taking the same heat that the Leafs are taking this week. Not even close. The privilege and what of I was trying to Toronto. start with, what I was trying to start with is that, I don't think I've ever seen a swing that big where it's like trade everybody, get rid of management, had enough of this, or if they just get by the Canadians, they put one goal in in game five or six. They needed one goal, and we're not talking about any of it. 
Then they go and have another brutal series against Winnipeg and lose. But I don't think we're even talking about this right but, now. But Ziggy, like the, if they it, wouldn't have gone to the North, people would have been upset, but they wouldn't have been this upset. Like but this is, that's why people are so upset though, because you're talking about if they just scored one goal against the Habs, it should never have come down to just scoring one goal against the Habs. That series should have been over in five relatively easy games Based on yeah, everything we saw during the regular yeah. season, this team is a juggernaut. Vegas had them as Stanley Cup favorites, and here we no, are but the, but, again. Yeah, but it's one. It's one. It was one. It's a one. It was an overtime goal. Like it's one goal in Game Five. That's like it. It, it would have been five games, yeah. and then we're not. No one's sitting here talking about this, and that goes back to Kyle Dubas and what he said. If you like my team after Game Five. Game four, why wouldn't you like us? At, why wouldn't you like the players after game seven? I know that's so hard to compute for a lot of people, but I get it. I totally get it. And it's very difficult to swallow that. But I I don't see you. You have to be rational in these situations. And that's why management and general managers get paid a lot of money because the majority of them don't go out and make irrational decision decisions during weeks like this. Like they don't go out of their, they don't, they don't just, they don't base something off one game. Like if, if you're going to, if you're going to do that, I just, I don't think you can be in the game long. And Kyle Dubas talks, you know, if you like guys after game four, how do you not like him after game seven? I just, it's, it's not enough for me. Will the big four, the core four be back? Brendan Shanahan. Dean, when you talk about history, there's, there's a lot of history where you say no team has won with a European captain and then someone wins with a European captain. No team has won with so many Russians and then a team wins with Russians. We can talk about all the things that stand in our way or we can try and figure out ways to get around them and to get the job done. And that's what I'm here to say is that as as horrible and as devastated as we feel today, we are not going to stop until we accomplish this. We are going to do this here in Toronto with this group. Brendan Shanahan promising that it's going to get done with this group. We will get back into this at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Joshua Cloak, who asked Mitch Marner, would you do anything differently? And Mitch said no. Tim Graham of The Athletic in Buffalo, the Blue Jays, with their first two home games against Miami in the books, both wins. A walk-off come from behind victory last night, scored three in the ninth to take it from the Marlins. And, of course, the Buffalo Sabres. Winning the draft lottery. They'll have the first overall pick in the draft this year. Stewie and Bourne at 8.30. Up next, Bark at Barker time. Phone lines are always open at 416-870-0590. You can text us to 590-590. Your Blue Jays comments, your Blue Jays questions. Alec Manoa, not nearly as hot as he was in his Major League debut. But again, it didn't matter as the Blue Jays came back to win the game. We'll get into the performance of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette. It's like he's always swinging 0-2. And Marcus Semien, the American League Player of the Month. Barker's next. Lead off, Lead off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Hello out there. We're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. 
The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. All right, Barker, if you're not going to choose the music... Where players dance no, you flash live in Toronto now. You're a Canadian. You have a Canadian wife, a Canadian son. Well, we're just, we're just gonna give you a little bit of our heritage here. A little Stomp and Tom Connors, good old uh, hockey game. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'll, I'll from now on pick my own music. <laughs> do you have dual citizenship now? You have two passports. I do not. Okay. Was that a, too personal for uh, it might have been, I don't know. I don't know. Um, sorry. That's, sorry. That's deep. That's do deep. You, do, <laughs> could, that, no, could you just, just throw just, out? Yeah, I'm should I, know if should I said none of your business? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, seriously, you should have. No, I was just wondering how hard it is I to get up. Like, because my friend, I'll, I have a lot of buddies that play in the U.S. and they go and get the dual citizenship, and I was always wondering. I've never really asked anyone how hard it is to get a Canadian one. <laughs> I know the U.S. one's hard to get. Well, I maybe. Uh, while we're at it, Barker, just give us the. Um, I, I'm. Just give my social security number too. Well, I was going to say, give us the pass, the passcode to your bank card, and we'll uh, we'll go from there and okay. see what Russell, happens. Hold on, let me get my wallet. There's nothing in it, but I'll, I'll get it to you. Here's Kevin Barker. He's the co-host of Baseball Central with Jeff Blair, two to three each and every weekday here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, he's with us for the half an hour, and you can bark at Barker on the text line. To 590-590, dial it up, 416-870-0590, although I suppose you're not angry. The Blue Jays just swept the Miami Marlins, did so last night in walk-off fashion, come from behind, bottom of the ninth inning. Nice to get one of those after giving a few of those up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kevin brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Big, big win last night, Kev. Like, it... I think I think there's an that extra special feeling to it when you have trailed all night. Uh, Alec Manoa obviously was not as good as he was in his major league debut. Of course, there are going to be ups and downs. Yeah, but they they scrap. They get a big hit from Bo Bichette. Feels like it's always zero and two with Bo, and and then they ultimately. They get the job done on a Joe Panic sacrifice fly that Starling Marte didn't bother to catch because he wasn't going to throw out Vladdy from third base anyway. Uh, but a good, good come from behind win and and staying relevant in what has clearly become a class division in Major League Baseball, the AL East. Yeah, well, I think because of who they have coming up in the Astros, the, the White Sox, the, the Red Sox, and the Yankees, those are tough 12 games. You, and you should beat the teams that you should beat. That's, you know, baseball's a little different because it's about the guy standing on the mound and how hard he is to get hits off of and, and stringing together quality at bats. And they were trying to do that. You know, Bo's having a real issue with the giant leg kick. There, there's, the, he's going to, for me, have to make some little tweaks to what he's doing. Now I get it. He's got 11 homers and 34 RBIs and he's hitting what he's hitting. But consistently, the big giant swing and the falling across the plate, you know, the, the 0 for 3 coming into that last at bat with the three punch outs, I don't say that's uh, something you may see consistently, but you, you'll see that a little bit because there's two parts to his leg kick. Well, you have a leg kick to your ear. It's almost impossible to get the foot down in an athletic position and drive down through the baseball. You know, he's got an inside-out swing. He, he wants to hit the ball where he hit it last night in the ninth inning there down the right field line. He's thinking there. He just wants to create 
a little bit of backspin and, and hit some doubles and hit some home runs. But, he, you know, the, the coming up with the two-strike approach 0-0 in the ninth inning tells you tons about Bo Bichette, that he understands who he is. He understands his body. He understands the guy he's facing. He understands what he needs to do. And if he gets barreled to baseball, because all the things that he is capable of doing, sometimes good things are happening. That's what happens, right? It's All the Blue Jays are trying to do when it matters is get the right guy up. They got five chances of getting that up. One through five can do damage. You get one of those five guys up at the right time, something good might happen, and that's what happened last night. There was a lot of anticipation with Alec Manoa. Second game goes uh, three and a third, four earned, gives up three walks, uh, trouble with his command. Uh, I'm okay with with what I saw of him. I, I still think there was you know, a guy that was on the mound with a little bit of confidence. Didn't look like he was getting beat up too much, and I, I have no problem with seeing him again. What was your take on, on what you saw of Manoa? Uh, look, if if they send him down, uh, I, I I don't even know what I would say on Baseball Central. That's not going to happen. I, the, yeah. No, you, you, well, let's hope not. It's 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 one of those things, right? The first thing you'd have to ask yourself: Where's the velocity? We we were seeing ninety two, ninety three on the sinker, and ninety four, ninety five ish occasionally on the four seamer. It was more ninety threes on the four seamer. I, I I didn't really understand where the velocity is at. You're a young guy who pitched a ton. You should see a lot of velocity. Now, occasionally you should see some wild velocity, but you know maintaining the velocity wasn't there last night. The the, the Christmas on the on the slider, he didn't have it. Uh, the 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 changeup for me, it's too hard. He needs to go to the the, the drawing board and figure out a new grip to to. Uh, you know, change the velocity on that thing. It's just too hard. 88 miles an hour when you're throwing 92 mile an hour fastball, that's a BP hater. Uh, his changeup is. So he needs to change that up a little bit. And I just don't understand why he doesn't have a windup. I, I get he's a giant human, 6'6", 260, and he's trying to control all that and, and keep it as compact as possible. You're doing me a favor if I'm a hitter. If you consistently do the th- same thing over and over and over again, and you make it very easy for me to see the baseball. And when you don't have a good slider and you don't have a good changeup and you can't locate a heater, the, the game are going to look like that. If you've got a wind-up, adds a little bit of deception, helps you get gain some momentum, get to your finish, your follow-through. You know, he was spinning off his finish a little bit. That's why you're seeing the arm side misses a lot. It's it just it's very confusing to me why, why these guys want to consistently go to to a, a to a stretch instead of having a windup and 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 for me he's going to have to have one of those I I, I get it the uh, that's what it is now and you're seeing it with Nate Pearson and now you're seeing it with Alec Manoa but but you, don't you want to maximize who you are and and give yourself a chance consistently I I just think he needs to step in the box look at a guy throwing out of the windup maybe just go and stand in a bullpen with a guy that that has a windup and then go stand in the bullpen with a guy that does nothing but throw out of the stretch see how it looks. See See the difference. See how much harder it is for you to follow the ball, follow the hand when that guy's out of the windup, and and see if he can add that to his to his mix. And it's almost like adding a new pitch, having a windup, especially when your when your slider's not working, your changeup's not working, the velocity's not there. It's almost like adding a new pitch. But you know, you may, you make it to the big leagues one way, doing it one way. It's very hard to adjust. And obviously, you know, after one little bad start, you're not going to make major changes. But I think in the end. A perfect for me, Alec Manoa is two things: wind up and a different grip on his changeup. He adds those two things. You know, he's he's going to be really solid at the big league level. But it almost looks like he can't. He didn't trust his fastball last night. Why does what? 
why does that happen with a young pitcher? Like, what what situation? Is that just a confidence thing? Is that a doing it a everyday big leaguer or a lineup you're facing? How does that how does that happen? Well, the lineup stunk. I mean, the Marlins are one of the worst lineups in baseballs. So that's not it. And then mm-hmm. what do you have? Five five strikeouts. Four of those were on, on elevated fastballs, and they were 92, 93 miles an hour. It wasn't 95, 96, 97. They were 92, 93. Uh, th- that's one of the things, too, is when you got a young catcher behind the plate, you got a young pitcher on the mound, you're seeing a team that, that is not real good at hitting a hater and – for whatever reason, you don't want to throw it. That's when you have your little meeting on the mound and you say, hey, I know what you don't have today. So we're going to start, continue to go to this and we're going to mix it around. Try and go in and out with it. Aim big, right? Don't try and be too fine with it. You don't have to go in with a back foot slider when you don't have a good slider. You don't have to try and backdoor a slider. You don't have to steal a strike with a slider. It's every once in a while, it has to be one of those aha moments where it's me against you. What's my best pitch? What can't you hit? Well, my best pitch is a fastball and you don't seem to like a fastball. So I'm going to throw a bunch of those until you start hitting me around. But again, this is one of those things. And oh, by the way, learning how to pitch but Buck Martinez talks about this all the time, learning how to pitch to the bottom of the order. I saw him throw a 3-1 slider mm. to a guy hitting in the seventh spot, hitting a buck 25. I, I, I wanted to throw my pen at the TV. Why? That, that, again, is one of those you caught up in the moment. That's when your catcher needs to go, I put the slider down. That's not smart. No, timeout. I don't like that. He's hitting a buck 25. He's hitting the seven hole for a reason. We're not going to throw him that. And first of all, your slider's not very good today. And second of all, this guy's not a very good hitter. So it's it's all of those things coming to mix, right? All of the things that, you know, the not having feel for the slider and the, and the, the velocity, those are not something you're going to learn from. It's just you woke up today and you didn't have a good day. But the learning how to pitch to the bottom of the order, that's something he could take away from that. Yeah, and Jose Devers, who hit ninth, and he is the first cousin of Raphael, but he ain't Raphael offensively, at, at least out. not at this nope. point. Nope. It, 3-1 and, or yeah, 3-1, 3-2, he threw a, couple of sliders to him ended up losing him right and it's like why don't why don't you just gear up and and we you touched off the top that the velocity on the fastball was a little down maybe that went into the decision making i i don't know but i'm thinking to myself like why are you turning it back over to the top of the lineup issuing a free pass to the nine hitter who's certainly not a power threat to you um with your second or third best yeah well i i I could probably guess that he's given up a couple of home runs. He's shying away from contact. He thinks he can miss a barrel with something that's spinning instead of his best pitch. I'm guessing, but I'm thinking that's what it is. This is a learning experience. Again, you you, you know, when you don't have feel for a slider, you don't have a, a location on your on your changeup, which is changeup's a work in progress. You know, that that's not a finished product yet, and he doesn't have velocity on his best pitch. You, you're searching for what you want to get people out with, and sometimes you shy away from being who you are, and I'm assuming that that's what he was trying to do, right? He's trying to get some weak contact. He's trying to get a swing and miss because he'd given up some hard contact on some halfway decent pitches that he normally throws for, you know, in, in good counts and in good spots, and, and it just wasn't working. But it's, again, it's one of those things where you, you don't try and fix everything. You just basically what I just said. I, okay, I learned from I don't throw a 3-1 slider to a guy hitting a buck 25 at the bottom of the order. I don't throw a 3-2 slider to a guy hitting in a nine spot because I don't want to have a take a chance on throwing a non-competitive pitch where out of the hand it's a ball, I walk him, I give the leadoff guy a chance to, to do some damage because that's normally one of the better hitters that the other team has. That That he can take away from it. The other stuff, it's just a bad day. You wad it up, you throw it in the garbage, you move on. 
you live to fight another day. By the way, shout out, Kev, for your take on Randall Gritchick before the season started. This guy has been awesome, especially in the absence of George Springer. My boy, Randall. Yeah, I thought I was the one that was talking about Randall, wasn't I? Wasn't it me? Well, the two of you were. The two okay. of you were. All right, all right, yeah. thanks. Okay. Yeah, all right. But, I mean, this this guy continues to well, get you gotta get. Yeah, you got to give me reasons why why you liked him. Did did you? I love you know, him. You know, I'll say that. I'll, I just love uh, him. Well, okay, I, we'll give you some we'll give you some reasons why I I like him. I, I like him that he spoke up in spring training. I, I like it that he said I'm fighting for playing time and I'm going to do everything possible to get barrel to baseball and I'm going to swing at better pitches. I like that. It it takes you know somebody to know the situation and know what's going on and know that if he wants to play, he's got to put up or shut up kind of thing. I love that he has a little bit of an adjustment with his with his lower half where he's a bit more bent at the knees where his eyes are closer to the strike zone. The closer you're your eyes with the strikes on the better chance you got of swinging at something that you want to swing at. I love that he's leveled out his swing. I love that he has the mindset of thinking right center. When you think right center, you're not always trying to let the ball travel because of how hard these guys throw. What thinking right center does, it keeps your barrel in the hitting zone a lot better. It allows your low, your bottom hand, which is your steering wheel, to do what it's supposed to do, right? Take the knob and t- lead your barrel where it's supposed to go. Uh, it's I, I love that he rose his hand and went to Charlie and said, I want to hit behind the cleanup hitter because I know there's, I'm going to have a lot of chances to drive in runs. And, oh, by the way, he's got 41 RBIs. So the, there's a lot of things that I love about him. It's, it's just, and, oh, by the way, he plays really good defense. He's a really good right fielder. He's a really good center fielder. Uh, every time he's supposed to make a play in the outfield, he does it. He runs the bases well. He's a leader on the team. Yeah, it's it's – he's – Coming into the season, I said this, he, 30 homers is hard to come by. He was the one guy in this lineup who had done it before. He knows what it feels like. He's done it in the American League East, and, and for everybody to be yelling and screaming, oh, let's trade Randall Gritchick, 30 home runs don't come around every day. I'm glad they did. He, and he's got competitive excellence, something we've been talking about uh, all morning. Oh, there you go. Yeah, tie it right back to the Maple Leafs. Competi- I'll, I'll give him this. He didn't piss and moan, and, and, and Kevin brought it up, what he okay, was saying in spring training. He could have suffered. His playing time could have suffered, assuming Springer was healthy. And you have Teo, and you have you have Lourdes Gurriel, and but Randall Gritchick to me is an everyday guy until this he guy, yeah. slows He's down for do a anything. long period of time. There's a long, long leash. The count is always Kevin. It seems zero and two on Bo Bichette. and yeah, I mean I'm sitting there, and and I see that first pitch take. In the middle of the game last night, it's well off the plate, and it's called a strike. From a from a hitter's perspective, early on in a count, and and this is not hammer the umpire's time. I'm actually I'm talking mentality here. I'm 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 interested in your perspective on this, having gone through it. When there is a brutal yeah. strike call early on in a count, like you know, it's two, three, four inches off the plate. And it's it's strike one. What does that do to you for the rest of that plate appearance? Yeah, it's tough, especially with a guy that's got a really good uh, changeup who likes to throw it a lot, who who can mix around his fastball, locate that in and out, up and down, and then can can throw the changeup in the same tunnel and make it run off the plate and. Yeah, yeah, that that's pretty tough. But look, I don't, Bo, I don't think that bothers Bo. But Bo's a free swinger. But Bo thinks he can barrel up anything from his toe to his ear, like we saw in the ninth inning last night with two strikes. That that ninety eight would ha- was at his chin. 
and he did that little knee turn that he does with two strikes, and he was able to hit a line drive inside outed down the right field line. Most human beings can't do that, and and he I think he knows that if he lets the ball travel a little bit and can control what he does with his lower half. Me, I think now again he's hitting two sixty two with eleven and thirty four RBIs. That that's that's. That's not too bad, right? And and but there is room for improvement. Do you, do you want to hit twenty five to twenty eight homers, or do you want to hit forty homers? That for me is the difference. You can control that lower half just a little bit better. When he has the big giant leg kick, I I know he has what he does with his barrel, and and but with the big finish that he has, the the barrel what it does is basically is in and out of the strike zone a little bit too soon, and that's why you see him swing through a bunch of baseballs and and have that follow through where he's falling across the the plate just control a little bit better just have a little bit better direction with it try not to overswing good good hitters for me they good good pitches to hit and they don't overswing i I know that's who he is but at the big league level with the way these guys can change speeds and elevate and and as hard as they throw and as many times as they can throw a secondary pitch it's very hard to go up and think you can control you can swing and hit everything and swing as hard as Bo does so Make make a little tweak, but you you can't argue what uh, talent he brings and and him in, in the middle of the order and hitting in front of Vladdy and hitting behind Marcus Simi and and you, you know again he is a giant headache for a bunch of pitchers because how do you pitch to him? He 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 thinks he can hit everything, and a lot of the times if he is on time with the leg kick, he can hit everything. If you're a pitcher, how how do you pitch to him? Do, do you throw him strikes? Do you try and make a chase? Do you throw him a bunch of secondary pitches? Do you elevate fastballs? So it, it, it is not the easiest guy to game plan against. But, look, it, sky's the limit for him, too, because of who he's hitting in front of. And, and they are a package deal. You, you can tell when Bo and when Vladdy's doing as well as Vladdy's doing, Bo wants to have a ticket to the party, and he wants to do as good as, Bo, as, as Vladdy does. So that's going to be a nice thing to watch for the next five or ten years. Kevin Barker is with us, and you want to bark at Barker on the text line to 590-590. We'll get a couple of those in in just a moment. I'll also ask Kevin, don't answer it yet, Kev, what his lineup would look like today if George Springer was coming back. Would Marcus Semien drop, or would someone else Mm. drop out of that top two or top three? We'll get to that in just a moment. Kevin Barker, the co-host with Jeff Blair of Baseball Central, 2 to 3 Eastern each and every weekday here on Sportsnet 590. The fan is with us until the top of the hour, and it's time to bark at Barker. From the 289 area code, hitting second, shouldn't Bo just be using his two-strike swing all the time, Kevin? (laughs) Love the question. (laughs) Uh, You could argue that, but but he... uh, you know, again, it's it's he has a lot of success with the big giant leg kick. He thinks that he can do anything, and to ask a guy to do that now again, you look in the ninth inning. He knew the situation. He knew what he <clears throat> needed to do. He knew what he hasn't been doing, and he was buying into if I can just drive down and through this, I can get the barrel in the hitting zone as quick as I can. I can hit 98 at my chin. And I can do it line to line. And that, that for me is, he lets basically what you're seeing with Bo, the situation and the scoreboard dictate his lower half. That's for me next level. Now, now I will say with the big giant leg kick and the two parts to that thing, if he can tweak that a little bit, maybe not raise it as high. Maybe don't have two parts to it. But again, this is, he, he's, 
23. He's still learning how to be an everyday big leaguer. He's learning how to adjust to their adjustments because they they were flipping him early. They were elevating hard stuff to him, and now they're trying to do both. And now he's trying to adjust to all those things. But I take Bo on my team uh, every oh, of day course. of the week, twice on Sunday. So Springer is your leadoff hitter if he's back and healthy. Vladdy is your three hitter. Teoscar's your four. Where do Bo Bichette and Marcus Semien slot in when George Springer gets back if all is going as it's currently going? Marcus Semien just won the American League Player of the Month Award for May. And on the flip side of the coin, Kevin, I think it's the easier move. I'm not saying it's the right move, but it's the easier move to slot the veteran further down in the order because I wonder if you upset Bo or if his confidence takes a shot if you take him out of that two spot. The right move would be to keep Semyon up Is there. It? I don't know. I, 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 How's he going to take it? How's he going to take it? He okay, wants to be it, a consequential uh, this, go-to guy. He wants his fourth and fifth at-bats in a game to come as quickly as possible. He wants to be a difference maker in a key situation. If if I'm Ross Atkins and I want to re-sign Marcus Simeon, I'm not. If Marcus Simeon, when when George Springer comes back, is hitting over 300, I'm not moving Marcus Simeon down. To the I agree spot. with Sorry. you. I agree if I with want you. Re, if I want if I want to re if I want to re-sign Marcus Simeon, I have no idea if they do or not. But if they do, it's a lot to ask a guy. We want you to move positions. We want you to mentor the shortstop. And oh, by the way, I know how good you've doing offensively, but can you move down to the sixth spot? It's that guy. You'll lose that guy. It, it won't be a good situation. But if you want to resign him, you go to him. You, you you have a team meeting. You say we know who's leading off because we gave him a ton of money and he's going to do what he wants to do. And money talks. You can say it any other way you want to say it. But the guy that's making the most money gets to do what the guy wants to do. So I'm assuming he's going to lead off George Springer. I personally, this is just me. If Marcus Simeon's hitting like Marcus Simeon's now is hitting now, he's hitting second. I just move everybody else down. I, I, I have a team meeting. I have a conversation with all these guys, it, and I say for now. Well, well, well while when you say Marcus everybody Simeon is hitting the when you say everybody moves down, does yeah, that no. mean Bo is three? I want Vladdy up in the first inning, guaranteed. Yeah. Guaranteed, Vladdy's got to be up in the first inning. He's got to hit no lower than three for me. Well, this is this is a great problem to have because because now now your lineup is is a ton longer. This is not something you're going to do all season. You're just trying to play the hot hand, and you putting Marcus Simeon in the sixth spot is that really playing the hot hand? Because now he may get three at bats, and everybody else is going to get four at bats. That, that's the thing. You're trying to maximize what he does. And if he's hitting in the sixth spot, is he going to get fastballs? Is he going to get something straight? Or is he going to get a bunch of uh, sliders and curveballs because he no likey slider and curveball? Down there, they're not really afraid to walk him. When he's hitting up in the order like he is now, they don't want to walk him. So in a fastball count, he's getting something straight. I'm not saying it's going to be a fastball, but it could be a changeup. It could be a BP heater. It'll be something because they don't want to walk him. And he's been able to lay off the strike the ball on something spinning. So you want to maximize that. It's all about maximizing for the time that the guy's hot, right? Bo, Vladdy, and Teo, and George Springer are your future. That's your first four guys. But Marcus Simeon's raking. If Marcus Simeon's raking, I want to maximize that. It's maximizing mm-hmm. that, putting him in the sixth spot. And, oh, by the way, I might want to re-sign him because he's a really good second baseman. He helps my young shortstop out because he can – 
uh, field balls on the other side of second base because he's got a solid arm. He can backhand baseballs. He catches the balls he's supposed to catch. He's a, he's a quiet leader. You know, if I can get him for three years, $60 million, I, you know, I don't want to make him mad because I don't want to have to overpay him. Moving him down to the sixth spot, he's probably going to ask for more money because he's going to say, okay, why are you offering me this? I've done everything you asked me to do. I moved to second. I was raking. You put me in a sixth spot. I don't deserve that. So a lot's going to go into these kind of things, but this is a great problem to have, right, is that you're you're getting one of the best leadoff hitters in all of baseball, and you're trying to figure out how to stack a bunch of really good hitters around him. I mean, it's like Christmas morning, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, I mean, I'm Simeon, I mean, Vladdy and Springer. Those are – they have to hit the first inning for me. Um, once, once Springer's back, but, um, so they moved to Buffalo. They're down five, two in this game down by a couple runs in the ninth. Do you, they come back from this if they don't have their fans in the stands? Cause it's noticeable when we're watching. Is that, is that a big thing for the players? Uh, it doesn't hurt, but but it doesn't hurt the fact that Reese McGuire had a good approach and stayed in the big part of the field and got a single to lead off an inning. Marcus Simeon got a two-strike uh, hit to left field. Bo Bichette got a two-strike hit. Uh, Joe Panic come up and, and had an approach and had an idea that he wanted to get something spinning where he could get his arms extended, hit the bottom part of the baseball, hit a fly ball to left field. These are great approaches. Now, does it help that somebody's root for you? I could hear go, Bo, go last night. When, when he, they were in Dunedin, it was more about the Rays than it was the Blue Jays, which to me is just an absolute joke. But that, that, yeah, you want to be cheered for. Again, you got to remember, this is a very young lineup. A, a young lineup occasionally needs some encouragement. They need their fan support. They need fans behind them. And, and it's, it's just nice to hear them being rooted for, and, and then they come up and have success. And you, you see how much fun Vladdy was having with the fans. You see how much fun Bo was having with the fans when they both hit triples. That, that just adds a whole different element to the game, and, and they need that. They're, you know, it's a, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. And occasionally, you need some fan support to get you through some dog days and and some grinding. And yeah, of course, it helped last night. Always good to hear your voice, pal. And uh, we promise to bring you back in with more hockey music on Tuesday morning at seven thirty. Sound good? Can't wait. Have a <laughs> have a good day, everybody. Thanks, pal. Kevin Barker, uh, the co-host with Jeff Blair of Baseball Central, two to three o'clock this afternoon and each and every weekday. On Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Blue Jays are back in action tomorrow night. So another off day. This is good. Right? The relievers, there's been a lot of fatigue in that bullpen. They lose A.J. Cole. Another guy goes down out of that pen to injury. It's another off day. And between the rainouts leading to double headers, shortened games, and all the off days of the last week or so, hopefully, hopefully Charlie Montoyo's uh, relief core is uh, feeling a little bit better. Uh, Jays and Astros, a three-game series starting tomorrow night in Buffalo. Kevin, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. We are back into the NHL playoffs, and specifically the Maple Leafs. The end-of-season pressers, Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan. Josh Cloak asked Mitch Marner if there's anything he would have done differently, and Mitch said no. We'll get into that with the man himself. Joshua Cloak on the other side. And here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan. The Blue Jays, a three-run ninth inning to walk it off. 6-5 over the Miami Marlins. It was a Joe Panic sack fly that Starling Marte couldn't be bothered to catch. 
Wouldn't have mattered anyway. Marte wasn't throwing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. out, tagging up from third base. Blue Jays six, Marlins five. How about Randall Gritchick with two home runs? My boy Randall. Damn right. <laughs> Big night for Ziggy's boy Randall. And, and Dylan Sakura with the Vegas Golden Knights made his playoff debut yesterday from the GTA from Aurora. Uh, nine minutes he played, had a shot on net, a couple block shots, a couple takeaways. Looked uh, looked pretty good out there. So we love Obviously that. Lost. We we <laughs> love that, but let's be honest, Dylan is not the first GTA person <laughs> to play in the NHL, so I'm assuming that there was a text or there was a no, no, just suggestion. throwing it out there. Okay. I always talk about our GTA guys. Okay. You know, Got to give a shout-out. Very, very, very good. Uh, Habs 5. Jets three, uh, Montreal with a one game to none series lead. Takeaway home ice advantage from Winnipeg. Jake Evans w- scored the empty net goal, and just as he did, he was obliterated by Mark Shifley. If uh, you catch Sportsnet Central on the loop this morning, you'll definitely see that hit. A five minute charging penalty, game misconduct. Uh, we await potential discipline against Mark Shifley. And uh, a ticky tack slashing call early in overtime. Put the Vegas Golden Knights shorthanded. The Colorado Avalanche and that awesome power play didn't miss. Colorado three, Vegas two. Miko Rantanen's third of the playoffs. And the Avalanche have a two games to none series lead. NBA playoffs. 76ers 129, Wizards 112. Philly wins the series four games to one. The next time the New York Knicks play a basketball game, Trey Young will probably be a little more bald. They love to make fun of him for that. Hawks 103, Knicks 89. Hawks win the series four games to one. Utah puts away the Memphis Grizzlies 126-110. That series ends in five games. Tonight, it's Denver into Portland. The Nuggets for game six can put the Trailblazers away. No AD for the Lakers as they try to survive. Phoenix into Los Angeles leading the series three games to two. A 10.30 tip down at Staples Center. And here is something we are definitely talking about on leadoff this morning. Hey, Mitch, you mentioned a few times wanting to be a, a better person. Is there something that you want to do differently next season to better prepare for the playoffs? Nope. You know, I thought we had a lot of great looks. I thought our line really did do a lot of great things. I know everyone just looks at the numbers and stats, and I thought our line did a lot of great things in every hockey game, and, and we had a lot of great chances to produce goals and produce chances and they didn't go in the net sucks or line did five on five creating energy and just what we did every night i thought we competed and you know we didn't quit ever and we never had any doubts in each other and that's something that uh you want in a, in a line and as a team so mitch marner answering this guy's question joshua cloak who covers the leafs and toronto fc for the athletic and at the end of this uh, chat we will get into josie altador's future with the Reds, it is very much in question this morning. Uh, Joshua Cloak is with us. Morning, sir. How are you? Not bad. Just um, stepped on my first piece of Lego as a dad, so kind of yeah. that rite of passage, uh, okay. morning rite of passage out of the way. So, yeah, good start to the day. Heel, instep, toe, Stri- Straight, straight ball of the foot. Oh, so probably sure. the worst place to, to take it, but... Um, you know, trial by fire, I guess I got it out of the way. And yeah. and now we, you know, just check that off the list in terms of dad mishaps. Yeah, I'm sure that's better than coffee. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'll wake you up in the morning. Um, yeah. You know, we, we played a part of your exchange with Mitch Marner yesterday as the Leafs held their season-ending Zoom calls. We used to call them press conferences. We'll call them Zoom calls now. What was your general impression, not just of your interaction with Mitch, but of the entirety of the media Mitch interaction yesterday? Yeah, it was kind of, it was interesting to see because I think Mitch Marner was the player that I think everybody wanted to to speak to the most. Um, you can understand, I mean, if, if you think Mitch was kind of defiant or, or, or frustrated, you can definitely understand why. I mean, even though he said he deleted all his social media apps, he's not oblivious. He can't be oblivious to the fact that, you know, he was the one that probably in the eyes of the public should shoulder most of the blame for the first round exit, right? This is a player that was, you know, very high in NHL scoring throughout the season, but didn't produce at that level throughout the playoffs. And perhaps even more concerning, at least from my eyes, it was kind of the gaffes late in the games, right? It was the puck over glass. And if you're the Leafs, you have to be concerned about, you know, a player of that magnitude kind of losing focus in the third period of a playoff game. But in terms of, you know, what he was like yesterday, it was interesting because Mitch definitely portrayed a little bit more anger than I think, you know, a lot of the other Leafs did. You have Morgan Riley taking a bit of a philosophical approach, talking about the need to do soul searching and, you know, nearly every other Leaf that, that spoke talked about the need to, to close out teams and really develop that killer instinct and play tougher. And, you know, Mitch kind of focused on the fact that they didn't score and, but they did a lot of good things. And, and to hear some of the other Leafs, even a player like William Nylander, who was, I think we can agree, probably their best player in the series. Mm-hmm. And he really elevated yeah. his game. But what struck me about William Nylander was just the, the sadness in his tone, saying things like, I don't like this feeling. And that's not something we hear from a player of his kind of confidence, right? So for Mitch Marner to be one of the few players to really say, we did a lot of good things, we just kind of didn't get the bounces. And, you know, he was talking about how, you know, the team, and and he just kind of says the same things year after year. So there was a lot of, again, a lot more anger. I wouldn't say it was petulance, but maybe it was something kind of verging on that that frustration. Um, And again, like, I mean, you guys tell me that question alone, that I asked him because he he mentioned a few times before I asked that question, the need to be a better person, which I found interesting. Did you think that was a fair question? Well, yeah, because it was following up on something that he said repeatedly. The one thing I always wondered, Josh, and you know this too, because you've, you've been in these situations hundreds of times is, is how much are they actually internally reflecting and how much of it is that they're just saying words, right? So uh, the need to be a better person, he might, that could just be a sentence that he's saying because it sounds right. You know, you get into cliche fest. Maybe he was being introspective, but you were, I, I, I agree. Like you, you followed up on terms that he used. I think that's always fair game. So I think when we talk about Mitch Marner, what I find really interesting and, and Kyle Dubas was asked about this very early on in his availability. He was asked about, all the effort and all the resources that he puts into, you know, advanced stats, analytics, and mental health resources. I mean, the Leafs have done a really incredible job 
providing these players, providing their players with outlets to speak and, and, and ways for them to improve their mental health. So there comes a point, right, if, if Kyle Dubas and the organization are going to provide opportunities for the players to improve themselves, eventually there has to be some responsibility on the player to take the Leafs up on these initiatives, to use these initiatives. And I've talked to Leafs and Marlies who have worked you know, with some of the staff, the, the Leaf staff that, that are there to help improve the, the mental health of players because we have to give these players credit. It's an incredibly difficult market to play in, especially as a young adult, right? Mitch Marner is 24. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it because he's been a Leaf for five years now. So eventually there has to be some responsibility on the player to, to, to try, and if he says he wants to be a better person, use the outlet's available but I do think as well you know just one last thought on on Mitch there has to be if if Mitch wants to improve and Mitch wants to become a better person and he wants to he wants to do those things the effort has to be there from Sheldon Keefe as well to to kind of connect with the player and say how do I get more out of you in the playoffs but how do I also help you reach your goals there has to be a bit of give and take on on both ends. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's a big focus of, of Keith and the entire organization in this off season. Well, and the, the other thing, Joshua, that is, is true about any situation. And, and I imply nothing when I say this, it's just who's in a guy's ear, right? Who's in a guy's ear a lot of the time. And sometimes when you play in your local market, you've got a lot more people who have a lot more access to you who are watching you a lot more closely because you're there, right? Even childhood friends, whatever. So I, I think that that's a, that's a factor as well. Um, and I just, that's, I just, that was part of what I thought I saw with Mitch and it's, it's me potentially reading into the situation, but I, I think, I think he's a young man still figuring things out. He's an uber talented hockey player who is in, um, and nobody's crying for the $11 million kid. I understand that. And he does need to produce. I want to be very clear about that. But it, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's, and they are young men. It's, it's not easy at all. And, and one thing, you know, that, that, that Mitch kind of said that, that stuck out, and, and this isn't to pick on the player at all. And, and this is a difficulty of these end-of-season availabilities. We're kind of parsing through body language and a few sentences here and there to – kind of drag as much meaning out of it as we can. But Mitch referenced how difficult it was to kind of go through COVID testing every day and how difficult it was for him to play the season, not being able to see friends and family as much. And I think a lot of people were struck by that because it's like, yeah, that's, that's 2020, that's 2021. I mean, the, the list of people who are not able to see their grandparents or, you know, hug their parents or whatever it might be is incredibly long. So I, I, that probably was a bit of a, you know, a statement that that probably didn't with, win Mitch a lot of fans. But yeah, he he's a young guy. He's figuring this out. What you want to see from any young player, to me, year to year, is just growth. Is just evolution. No one's expecting Mitch Marner or any of these players to be perfect players. But we saw Austin Matthews take a huge step this year, both in terms of his production and his ability to play a 200-foot game. We saw William Nylander really bear down more in the playoffs when some of his past playoff performances have really fueled the narrative that William Nylander doesn't care, but he looked like a player that cared through every single one of those seven games. 
So it's not as if there's not a precedent, right? The, these these young players, this young core can improve. And I think if you're the Leafs, that's what you want from Mitch Marner is to just improve and become more mature in the postseason, you know, really take ownership for things and, and just play with a bit more of a, a, a serious kind of determined edge. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I think they need more of Marner and Matthews in the playoffs. I thought Nylander was, was the best player. But with Mitch Marner... Uh, a lot of fans want him shipped out of town. I don't. I, I mean, you can walk down the street right now, and nine of every ten people um, would would say that. Or where sure. do you stand with keeping Marner and and the big four intact going into next year? Yeah, I, I, I think you. I think you have to. I, I, I think you do have to keep Marner, and, and for two reasons. First of all, it, it, even if you wanted to ship him right now. The optics of it, even throughout the league, aren't very good. His value might not be high, just from an asset perspective. Um, but second of all, even if his his value was high, because he's so talented, because he produces so much in in the regular season, uh, do we really think we can get fair value back for Will, for Mitch Marner? Like, in what sense do you really think you can you can make a trade for him with a team that would be willing to take on his salary cap? I mean, his his actual salary is decreasing. It's not the $15 million that it was a few years ago. So maybe there's some teams that would be willing to pay that, but I just don't see a world where you get fair value. For well, Mitch I'll, I'll jump in Josh, just, just to throw a different perspective on that into the mix, sure. which, and, and you can't, uh, maybe you can, but yeah, I don't think you can presume to know this if you're Kyle Dubas, but any move, from sending Marner out of town, I think would start a domino effect, right? So if, if, if for example, you would take some of that money that you free up in this flat cap world and get Dougie Hamilton here, sure. right? So you're not getting Dougie Hamilton for Mitch Marner. You're getting some kind of package for Mitch Marner, presumably guys who can help you now, not who are as good as Mitch Marner. You lose the trade straight up but maybe you win in other areas if you're able to make decisions B and C off of decision A. Problem is, is you have to be damn confident B and C will come if you make A. And that's why I don't think the conversation should be, well, should they trade Mitch Marner for Jack Eichel, right? And, and I know that's one that's been kind of floated out there. That's one that, you know, it's a discussion I had with a colleague yesterday. I think there has to be a lot more to it. I mean, my concern as well, and you touched on this, are you replacing Mitch Marner's production in the regular season? I don't see a world in which you do that. Maybe you trade for the defenseman that you think you want. I think their blue line is really good. I do. And maybe you lose one of those players to Seattle and doesn't look like Zach Bogosian is going to be back. But I don't know. It, it, players that are like good players that have a history of producing in the playoffs, which is what they want, those players are going to get more expensive too, right? So you could subtract 10, Mitch Marner's 10.9 off your your salary cap, but like the wingers, the third line wingers who, you know, weren't always there for the Leafs in the playoffs, those players aren't, you know, they don't cost $2 million now either. They're going to cost a lot of money. So I don't know if you can make it, you know, the numbers work. If you get, you know, a Dougie Hamilton, how much more money do you have to play with? I don't think you have enough to replace Mitch Marner. So, I'm in the camp that you should keep him. I'm in the camp that you work with the player and you help the player grow. 
because then if the Leafs ultimately do win a Stanley Cup, and we heard ringing enthusiasm from Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas about the core, if you eventually make it work, you feel that much more satisfied about the project because you you stuck with your vision. But, you know, Kyle Dubas has shown a flexibility, you know, the last offseason to adapt in his his approach. Maybe he feels he needs to adapt further. But if I'm a betting man, I keep Mitch Marner. How do you rate the roster Dubas put together this year? And the reason I'm asking is, uh, out of everyone that talked yesterday, I feel like that's the only person that could have really gone up there and said, I've given this team, you know, I've I've put together the best team possible. We have scoring, we have toughness, we have leadership, we have goaltending. I wouldn't have found another goaltender for a million bucks. I brought in the prospects. Like, I feel like Dubas has done everything, and then this is the result. How do you rate the team, and, and you know, how do you rate his performance as a general manager? I think Dubas did a really good job, in, in my opinion, building the team in the last offseason, right? I was behind the signing of, of Wayne Simmons. I was behind the signing of, of Joe Thornton. I thought that this room, that room needed – you know, a little bit more character, a little bit more life. And, and I liked the idea of bringing in guys, not necessarily that had been there and had won, but had gotten so close and were kind of feeling that desperation to get over the edge. It backfired a little bit. Maybe backfired is a strong word, but it hurt them in the playoffs because these veterans just slowed down, right? And I failed to, to I shudder to think what it would have looked like in an 82-game season. Right, but but a lot of these players, the you know the the Wayne Simmons and and the Joe Thorntons and and the Nick Felinos as well, just didn't have that juice through the playoffs at the end of the season, and that kind of came back to bite them. So it it was great. I don't even want to say in theory. It it looked good, and and everything that that we heard from the Leafs was that they had a great room, and you know maybe a few bounces here and there, and we're talking about Game One last night, but. It just looked at these veterans kind of like ran out of juice. I do think that there should be some criticism of Kyle Dubas for the way that he, you know, essentially gave away a lot of his draft capital this year for players that had virtually no impact. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that the Leafs have drafted well and, and you know, drafting and development still needs to be a focus for this team, but they have three draft picks this year. You know, not in the first round. That's really going to hurt them down the road. Um, and when you look at the players that they brought back, the Ben Huttons, the David Riddicks, the Nick Felinos, it it's easy in hindsight to say this, but it really doesn't look worth it. So I, I think the roster he constructed should have gone further. But if there's any criticism, it's the fact that they're they're really going to have to dig deep and, and find other ways to, to supplement their prospect pool because – three draft picks this year is, is could hurt them down the line with Joshua cloak, who also covers Toronto FC for the athletics. So before we let you go, Josie Altidore's future with the reds, what is it? Has he played his last match? He has had uh, confrontations with the general manager, Ali Curtis, uh, the coach, Chris Armas. Now this, he was, he was angry uh, in a scoreless game being subbed out in the 70th, uh, 70th minute, easy for me to say, against Orlando, um, and has been sent home after uh, this past week's match against the Columbus Crew. Uh, this guy is a legend in this market. Has his time here come to an end? 
No, and I don't want to sound like the eternal optimist here, but but much as I think Mitch Marner is going to stay in Toronto, I don't think Josie Altidore has played his last game in Toronto for, for two reasons. One, he's paid very handsomely as a player. His, his over $3 million salary, he's probably not getting that elsewhere. And the world of soccer transfers looks a little different than hockey in that if TFC were to find a buyer for Josie Altidore, they would also have to agree the team would have to agree on new contract terms with, with Josie Altador. And there's not a lot of clubs right now that would pay, you know, an aging striker with a long injury history, you know, his salary right now. So Josie Altador has every right to say, I want to stay in Toronto, make my money and try and score for this team. There's going to be a point, right? Even if Josie Altador doesn't play the next three, four, five games, TFC are not scoring. They're not scoring nearly enough right now you know, for a team of their caliber. So there's going to become a point in the near future where the cries of, well, Josie Altador is on the bench. He can score, maybe not as much as he used to. He can score. Why are we not playing the player? Um, And I think Josie Altador has all the leverage right now with the situation um, because I don't think TFC have gotten really good offers for him. And I don't think they've gotten offers that will pay him as well as he's paid right now. Probably too much, but that's a conversation for another day. So I, I think there is a way for Josie Altador to work his way back into a TFC lineup probably sooner rather than later, to be honest. Always good to hear your voice, Josh. Thanks for this. Let's do it again soon. Awesome. Take care, yeah. guys. Watch out for the Lego. <laughs> Joshua Cloak, playing injured this morning, uh, covering the Leafs and Toronto FC for the Athletic. Let's go to uh, Buffalo, where Tim Graham is all over the sports scene there, working as well for The Athletic. Always good to hear your voice, Tim. Um, congratulations to the city of Buffalo. You've got the first overall draft pick in this year's NHL draft. The Sabres Whee! are going to turn it around, baby! Or something. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, second time in four years that that's happened. Of course, they got Rasmus Dahlin a few years ago, uh, but yeah, fourth uh, fourth time finishing in last place in the last eight years, and so you know this is you know the sports traditionalist in me. This is what's supposed to happen when you have the worst team in a sport. You're supposed to get the first overall pick. But uh, of course, different sports have waited their drafts uh, because teams were tanking for it. <clears throat> Buffalo Sabers. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, this is your this is the booby prize, right? This is what you get for being bad. And you know, it's funny uh, the reaction uh, last night I noticed on social media was kind of a whole hum. I mean, Buffalo fans used to be pumped up about this type of thing, and of course, you know, going back to when they got Jack Eichel uh, number two overall instead of Connor McDavid, it was a huge story. Who went one? Who went two? But it just seemed to be a, kind of a shrug of the shoulders uh, last night from Sabres fans. Uh, okay, we're first overall again. Uh, you know, that's uh, whatever, because uh, it hasn't really helped uh, the handful of times that they've gotten that, uh, that first overall pick. And uh, they're still awful. And people are trying to make proposals for, I'm sure, Ike all the time. And now us in Toronto, everyone wants Marner out of town and now people are tying those names together. There's no chance that Eichel's going anywhere, right? Oh, sure there is. Um, and uh, we learned from uh, Kevin Adams last night, the general manager uh, of the Sabres, 
in doing his news conference to talk about getting the first overall pick. He was asked about Jack Eichel, who's uh, has this uh, neck issue. He has a herniated disc that he wants to have a disc replacement surgery done. And the Sabres, uh, according to Adams, the updated word from them last night is the doctors still have no interest in allowing him to have that surgery. Uh, his uh, 12 weeks of, of rest and you know this conservative uh, rehab approach that the Sabres wanted him to do. Because, look, nobody wants to cut on an elite athlete's neck. Um, and this particular procedure has never been done before in the National Hockey League. So there really is no... Uh, exemplar for what you can expect in a in a sport where you know well let's you're supposed to keep your head on a swivel right well that swivel uh, is going to be uh, is going to be cut on uh, if Jack Eichel has his way uh, but the leverage is weird because we know Jack Eichel's an elite player uh, he's one of the best centers in the game um, he's miserable uh, but also. Uh, he's damaged right now. Uh, what team is going to want to trade for him? Uh, is that is is it going to be contingent on that team wanting to allow him to have this surgery that the Sabers don't want him to have? Um, he doesn't have a no move clause not yet anyway, so he really doesn't have any say in that regard. But still, what team is going to want to risk any kind of uh, you know handsome handsome uh, return uh, for? Uh, for Jack Eichel and not knowing exactly what they have on their hands in terms of, uh, you know, this, this, uh, great, great centerman that he is. So, uh, yeah, it's a weird situation and it is uh, very, uh, tense, uh, between Jack Eichel and the team. And, uh, it is, uh, it's clear that he wants out. Uh, it's, uh, and, but can the Sabres and they're really, I, I don't know if we can still call Kevin Adams a rookie GM anymore, but he, he came into the job with no experience at all. And, um, and he really didn't have any lieutenants until, uh, until just a couple of months ago, uh, a downsized hockey operations department that the Sabres were going with and a first time general manager. Uh, I mean, so Sabres fans, I think, are really way more interested in what's going to happen with Jack Eichel than, than, than their first overall pick because they're worried. They're worried that, uh, that, that Kevin Adams uh, knows what he's doing. And uh, meanwhile, uh, I, I, I think they are okay with losing Jack Eichel. You know, like uh, you wouldn't think that long ago that Leafs fans would uh, be, be done with Mitch Marner, but – um, I think Sabres fans are okay with turning the page, or at least it seems that way, as sad as it is. With Tim Graham of The Athletic, this is leadoff, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. So, I mean, how deep does the cut go this summer? I, I feel, Tim, it's been so bad for so long that between Eichel and others, whether it's Ristolainen and on down the list, as good as these players are individually, you almost have to cut out the rot. So, presuming they were to take yeah. Owen Power first overall, they've got Dylan Cousins, they've got Rasmus uh, Dahlin on the on the back end. Uh, like, is 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 that how deep this is going to have to go? Are they going to have to have a couple of more 55, 60 point seasons here? before they even get back to respectability, building around these kids on entry levels? 
Yeah, and they don't even have technically uh, or officially a head coach yet. They're still going through the process. Don Granado, uh, you know, it's a low bar uh, around around here. Fans got excited uh, because Don Granado came in and seemed to spark the team. They did some different things that Ralph Kruger didn't seem willing to do. Ralph Kruger's system was boring as hell. Not only were they losing, but they were doing it in such boring fashion. Then Don Granado comes in, and people are like, hey, I, we like this guy. We like this Don Granado. Well, he went 9-16, and 16, you know, so 9-16-3. Uh, but uh, it's that's the thing about Sabres fans. So they're cynical, and rightfully so, after so much losing. And now Kevin Adams, I just told you all the things I, you know, about Kevin Adams and his lack of experience, uh, and that he's going through a coaching change. Uh, what's this going to do about free agency and all these other things? So, yeah, you're going to have to rely on those draft picks. I mean, guys aren't just going to want to come here uh, and play and help help the Sabres try to bail out. And let's just maybe extrapolate a little bit more on uh, on, on free agency. Uh, you don't know who your best player is even. You know, is, is Jack Eichel going to be here? So that will be a very interesting summer. You talk about the summer being a deep cut. And uh, I think it's going to just be reminder after reminder of how far this team still has to go uh, to turn it around. And that's why you, you see this, the, the city of Buffalo rolling out the red carpet for the Blue Jays here the last few days, uh, getting really, really into having this distraction uh, that gets you from now until the Bills season starting. And we have people actually having these discussions. I, I, I hear them all the time. Uh, people saying, hey, Tim, what would you think if the if the city of Buffalo was able to trade the Sabres for a Major League Baseball team? Now, people would never. I mean, B- Buffalo is such a proud hockey town, but the, the joy uh, has just been wrung right out of them. That has just been – it's it's a really sad, sad place to be when it comes to, to hockey these days. And, and just, I mean, on a last note, pretty cool to see the upgrades to Salem Field, and that will benefit Buffalo and the Bisons. Uh, for a long time and hopefully the relationship with the Blue Jays continues for years and years and years and decades ahead because the geographical proximity and all of that is is perfect but it's 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 good to see the upgrades that the Blue Jays put in and and helping out a a partner that's been really good to them Uh, we'll leave it there Tim just because the uh, clock is our enemy I hate hate having to let you go because we wanted to get into that a little bit more but we'll uh, we'll pick it back up with you again soon thanks for your time much love yeah, Tim Graham of The Athletic in Buffalo. Stewie and Bourne on the Shifley on Evans hit on Mitch Marner's postseason, end-of-season Zoom call. We used to call them media conferences, press conferences. We call them Zoom calls now. And where the Maple Leafs go from here. Hockey Central at 8.30. And did Ziggy take a drink of something? And is he having regrets? We'll get into it next.
I just want to get to nothing compares to you. I want to. Stewie and Borner with us for Hockey Central at 8.30. Little Sinead O'Connor, one of the great SNL appearances ever. Many, many years ago. Didn't she rip up a uh, picture of the Pope? <laughs> Is that what happened? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, great appearance. Great appearance. <laughs> Hey. What a jam, though. <laughs> so so we, always, song, we uh, always ask why, Stewie. Did there, what's, well, what's the story behind the selection? I tried to capture the, the, the song that encapsulates the saddest moment because this is Twitter right now. So if I had to pick a song on what Twitter is describing the least right now, it's this uh, it's a mixture of uh, heartbreak, love, and uh, heartache. How about that? True. No one gets that upset without truly loving first, Stu. <laughs> the opposite yes. of love isn't hate. It's indifference. And I mm -hmm. think they might have gotten it to that point in Buffalo. They certainly haven't gotten to that point here in Toronto yet. We, we are still very, very emotionally invested if the last 48 hours is any indication. D did you, either of you, have a, a big takeaway? I, I always think these, we call them Zoom calls now, not press conferences. But... Do I, th I don't think anything gets said that really is bulletin board material that, that we latch on to. I mean, Brendan Shanahan was very definitive that they're going to stick with the core four. Mitch Marner's body language wasn't great, but that is reflective of disappointment. And he was hit with some pretty tough questions. He was defiant. He was defensive. Some felt he didn't take enough responsibility for his role in the playoff loss. Did either of you have a takeaway? Stewie, start with you, and and then Justin will go to you. Yeah, it's it's too tough to gauge, you know, a player's real feelings based on their their media availabilities because you know you're you have your guard up before you even get in there, and I think that's sort of uh, the key to hockey players surviving, especially in this market too. But I guarantee you, behind the scenes, if you saw what happened, probably in the dressing room or uh, you know amongst his teammates, you could probably tell that he cares. You don't get to the National Hockey League and turn into a top player in the league by not caring. And, and Ziggy can attest to this. You know, over the years, I've maybe played with you know two or three guys that you flat out just did not care so it's an experience inexperienced group it's a young group and the one thing i can tell you you gotta learn you gotta learn how to win you gotta learn how to get that killer instinct but uh, anyway you dice it it's it's a disappointment season and they have to find a way to rebound or make changes because as you can tell by that song like leaf nation cares <laughs> and, and it might start affecting their pocketbooks a lot sooner than later yeah uh my, my big takeaway was the big four not going anywhere, you know, no interest in, in moving off of the plan of the, whether the salary cap structure or whatever. And as much as uh, like Scotty, you mentioned, they don't say anything. They, they go out of their way. Like if they go through that whole presser with no headline material, it's a win. But you know, like Brian McClellan in Washington talked about Evgeny Kuznetsov and he said, yeah, we're going to listen. You know, we're going to see what's out there. You know, we're not happy with this guy and how it's gone. Without saying we're trading this guy, he made it clear that they are interested in seeing what's out there. Like, they wanted to kill that with Mitch Marner here in Toronto. So, uh, that, that was probably my, my overall takeaway was just that this is going to stay the same, and they do believe that they can get it done if healthy with, with this group moving forward. 
Muzzin seems to have, he talks more and more in these media availabilities, right? And it seems like he's talking even more. And his quote, I'm not even sure if we have the audio, but the teams that go the furthest play the hardest and the grind teams down. We have to learn from this and take it going forward that we need to do this, do that more. We can't be easy to play against or we won't get it done in the playoffs. It almost seems like he knows what this team needs and he he's careful on what he says to the media. And I'm sure in the room, you don't want to be like the guy that stands up and yells every single week, right? But he's like a guy like him and Thornton. I'm like, I want to know what they really think of the group as a whole. Stewie, what like what what were your thoughts on on that we see Muzzin talking more and more? Like, is there something more here that isn't right when you see stuff like Muzzin say that we can't be easy to play against or we won't get it done in the playoffs? Well, when you got Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, and, uh, you know, you can't be saying, well, we now need the Hawkeye to come in and save the day. You have the group to do this. It's not coming. No one's coming to help this group. You have to find a way to do it within. And the thing is with Muzzin, he's got enough social equity where he's won two Stanley Cups. He knows what it takes. And I think he's very frustrated because you go back to those L.A. teams, they weren't as talented as this team. So it, it's not about, well, who else can they bring in to help put them over the top? It's, it's If you can't get it done with these two f- big four guys you have to figure out well what's the next step so i don't think they're there yet but it's the it's it's now um you know the onus is on these guys to get it done but ziggy you know it's it's tough it's tough to have that killer instinct and you know i could tell you i could probably attest i never had that i never had that because at the end of the day at a certain point of the season it gets hard and sometimes it gets too hard and i remember being out there being like man this is too hard so you, you never admit that as a hockey player while you're playing but i could see it being too hard for some of these guys which is is sad to say but that's sometimes the way it is you know, I, I love Jake Muzzin. I think he's an awesome leader and integral part of this Leafs team and franchise going forward. But, like, that, that, those comments to me are a little bit of everything's a nail to a hammer. Like, the guy who's physical and plays tough thinks they should play physical and tough more. You know, I didn't watch those last three, three games, and for a second think, you know what this team is lacking is grit. You know, for, for me, I, the skill dried up. The goals dried up. The things that, they, that make them them went away. I, I, didn't, I don't agree with the commentary that that was about a, a lack of grindiness or anything to that effect. They lost their, their ability to play that nasty, skilled mental game when it, when it got heavy. What is killer instinct what is it i i it's it's a phrase what is it and i gotta i gotta killer instinct before, to- before stewie before stewie talks like okay stewie you had it i'll tell you right now i played with a lot of players where you literally and and i uh <laughs> played with a lot of veterans and when we have a young guy that would get called up it was like yeah he's a skilled player but these are the guys you pay after the game i don't think you were a player that when you showed up Oh, is Stewie going to show up today? We'll pay him after the game. Like, you weren't one of those guys, but go ahead, Stewie. Sorry. Well, thanks, Ziggy. You, you sound like a GM. Like, you should put some money in my pocket here. Let's go to the protest. But uh, <laughs> Killer Instinct is, uh, you know, Montreal last night in, in that game. And, um, you know, Winnipeg scores in the third period, I believe, to make it uh, 3-2. 
and Montreal gets a power play a couple minutes later, and they make sure that they score, regardless of what the power play has been um, all, all all series or all playoffs. They find a way to get it done. Shea Weber steps up, gets a breakaway, Gallagher taps it in. Those are veteran guys stepping up, saying, hey, you know what? Winnipeg made it close. We have to find a way to close this game out and making it 4-2. Uh, killer instinct is the Montreal Canadiens only having uh, two points from their defensemen uh, in all of series against the Toronto Maple Leafs and stepping up and getting six points last night. That's killer instinct when you describe it uh, from, a, from a numbers standpoint. Yeah, I, I, I'd say killer instinct is the ability to recognize uh, that it's not over till it's over. And that's that's the real reality is is some people I think about Tiger Woods all the time you know when you talk about killer instinct like talk about someone who could close guys out and it got to the point where when people were golfing with Tiger and it was them and Tiger you know they're separated from the leaderboard it went it was over. Guys would just like blow up. No one can even handle say no Tiger wasn't going to falter and go away. You know up 3-1. I think a lot of these guys who haven't closed out a series before are like, "All right, we are so good. It's going to happen one of these games. We got three cracks. We're not going to lose three times." You know, and just that inability to to just recognize that it's not not over till it's over. I I would imagine that would be a lesson learned uh for playoffs in the future. Stewie and Bourne with us on leadoff Hockey Central at 8.30 on a Thursday. Leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. So just because you can hit a guy doesn't mean you should. I think that there are arguments within the rules that you can say the Shifley hit on Jake Evans was legal, but Jake Evans is pretty rattled. And the hit came after the puck was in the net. Did Mark Shifley err? Should he have pulled up on Jake Evans last night? Bourne, start with you. Yeah, he should have. I mean, it's it's a bad hit because he's coming from 200 feet, essentially, and he's not skating the length of the ice, you know, starting with the intent of blowing the guy up. But he it's it's a bad hit. He's, he knows how much speed he's got up, and he, he knows the guy's vulnerable. Uh, you know, there is some onus on the guy throwing the hit to protect the other guy. You know, of course, I think everyone can tell from the way I'm saying that, that comes with some caveats. Like, you know, the, the crease area, when you go to the crease to score a goal, just because people know you're going there doesn't mean they have to allow you to go there. And I would say that the contact itself probably is within the rule book. Like, in terms of head contact, elbows used, no jumping. Like, I, I, it's an okay hit, and a guy who's eligible to be hit to me, he put himself in a pretty bad spot. I still think it's too much from Shifley. I still think he should be suspended, but I don't think it's as black and white, or, you know, I've seen some some people who really hated the hit. It's it's bad in spirit. I'm just not sure that technically by the rule book it's, it's the worst hit I've ever seen. Well, talking about called... Killer Instinct, I didn't have that because I would never cut across the crease because I knew the weak side D would be coming to kill me or I'd never be coming behind the net and jamming that puck because I, I know that would happen. But I said this the was thing. 10 years ago, though. Right. I the still have a picture of me online of me like floating in the air, Andy Sutton just killing me behind oh, the wait, net. It's a good picture. Oh, you should yeah. check it out. But um, but the game has changed, and I think the problem now at the league, there's too much gray area, and you got to make it black and white. And I think it all comes down to, do you want that hit in hockey? And the answer has to be no. If it says yes, if you say yes, well, you know what? Uh, you know, Go start a, a podcast with Sean Avery, and you guys could talk about the game and how it used to be. But <laughs> I, I didn't like the hit. I think it was dirty. Um, Shifley is an honest player, but again, it was a dirty hit, and I think the league is going to respond because you do not want those hits uh, in hockey. And I'm saying, I'm talking as a former player, as a parent, 
and and a hockey coach as well now. That's that's the tough spot for me, Stewie. Is that like right now that hit the rule book doesn't rule it out outside of charging, and he got five in the game for the charge. So if you don't want it out, you might have to change some rules. Uh, which and, they, and I'm fine with that. that. He's a vulnerable guy who got hurt, so maybe some rules need to be changed. But when they're deciding the suspension, I don't think it's going to be a big one. Nothing compares to you guys. Uh, put, a, put a ball on it. Thanks for having us. Right up against the clock, so we'll let you go. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll do it again next week. We'll see what we can dig up on the Leafs. Um, there there will be more stuff seven days from now. You can count on it. Stewie and Bourne, Hockey, Thanks, Central, Hockey Central at 8.30 on a Thursday morning. What was going on there about 20 minutes ago? You were holding up your empty... Oh, mug. did you just, did you have a bad drink or something did you have curdled oh, milk yeah, like it was I just, did no no it was just the it was the tea and you know we were we were up against the clock it's it was it was that time so. okay okay you're yeah, just keeping yeah. me in line I like it I like it I like it <laughs> Elliot Friedman at eight o'clock tomorrow morning and oh, can't uh, wait oh yeah can't wait can't wait for that I one. have a hundred questions for him tomorrow so there will be at least a hundred and one questions <laughs> I'll sneak one in at some point. Good show is coming up next. We'll talk to you at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Have a great day. It's nut juice. Yeah.